everybody. Welcome to episode 280 of the Go Gorilla Filmcast, your source for all things indie film. I'm one of your hosts, Sashia, trying not to fangirl Dumont. <laughs> you you had a, my name is Paul Robinson, I'm another host. You had a, uh, you were supposed to start the episode with like an ee. That's right. I was supposed to just be squealing because yeah. this did happen. Yeah. <laughs> you could do, you can add an effect over it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so we're very excited today because we have a special guest, mm. very special guest to us. You've heard us sing his praises before. Yes. Multiple times. Uh, so please go ahead and introduce yourself. I am Robert Machoyan, writer, director, uh, cinematographer sometimes. Yeah. It's happened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, needless yeah. to say, we, or maybe you don't know, but we're, we're, we're we're actually really really huge fans of your work. Um, oh, thank you. We it's just for us. Just it's just like a fresh a a, a breath of fresh air yeah. to see films like yours that are able to be yeah. made and to see to see them being made. And it's just I don't know. Like I have so many questions. It's like I don't know where to I know. start. I don't know where to like, start. Like um, so we have a <laughs> we have the the closest connection we ever got to you was that both of our films played at the same film festival last year. Oh, wow. And so oh, yeah. Joseph Chambers was playing. And it was funny because I saw, like, you know, I go through the films that are playing and um, you had a cool movie. So you were in the theater, not like us. But <laughs> so I saw the poster and I was like, this looks really interesting. And then I saw your name and I was like, oh, hold on. Hold on. I was like, this is the guy who did The Killing of Two Lovers. I was like, oh, I want to see this. And then, of course, it was playing at the same exact time that oh. our film was playing. And I highly considered missing our block just <laughs> so I could go see it in the theater because I knew we wouldn't get it by us. And I was like, oh, this sucks. Um, and so, of course, we had to wait for it um, when it streamed. But I was just so excited. Is that your six degrees? That is my six degrees. Yeah. I was like, we were in a film. Technically, we yeah. were in the same film festival. I'm just sure. saying. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so there is that. Um, but awesome. it's like, you know. He'll tell you I'm the first person to refuse to do a shameless plug for myself as an actor. Every time he brings stuff up, if like I'm like, shush, I don't care. This is the one time that I'm like, my goal is to work with you one day. Like I oh, cannot, I, I cannot express how much I love your films and uh, that I love your work as a writer. Uh -huh. I love writer directors because I feel like, I mean, we work together and so we collaborate on stuff. I write our stuff and I'm, and I'm in our films, but you know, nothing that I, that I create will ever be exactly like I would have done it if it was just me. Right. It's just, it's a vision that you're sharing with somebody. And so yeah. I, I always love seeing that, like, because that is when you're watching a film that is from a writer director, you're watching it from a perspective of the person who created it. I mean, as, as much as the studios let you, of course there are limitations yeah. <laughs> I, as I know, but uh, you know, you're still getting to see that in its pure form. And um, that's like, you know, you don't see that all the time. And I, I just love that. Yeah. I think it's really interesting because the exciting thing with writing and directing is when what you imagined on the page is actually working in front of you. Mm -hmm. um, that's actually a really neat experience because you're like, okay, that it, it actually helps you as a writer when it's starting to work in the actual f physical form, e especially if the actors interpret the material the way that you wrote it. Mm -hmm. That's like a double bonus. Mm -hmm. um, I've been working on this film over the summer 
that I wrote that I didn't direct. Uh, Cole Webley uh, directed it, and I wrote this film. Uh, that the title now is Omaha, and I was on set, and it was actually kind of interesting to watch another director interpret yeah. the material, and to be able to like. He's a great director, so the, the confidence is there that he's doing, uh, you know, what's best for the movie, and it's going to, I imagine it's going to be a really great film. But it's an interesting thing to be like, oh, the camera's supposed to be over here. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. It's like, <laughs> and it's like, well, he put it over there, and it's yeah. like, it, he's making the right decisions. But it was the first time it w that I was like, oh, this must be interesting for a director who's not a writer and is getting the material and needing to visualize the material in their own way and how much that must be a difficulty for the writer yeah. um, to, to like give that up. For me, it was, it was interesting because uh -huh. I just needed to give it up. And only one time I just walked on set and was like, it's not working. <laughs> and he was like, what's, not, what's, what's happening? And I was like, I, I kind of explained, I just had to explain like, this was my intention of the scene. And he was like, oh, great. And they kind of worked around that and I appreciated it. But then I never, I was like, that's so inappropriate. And I like never did it again. Even though he's like, hey, anytime. I was like, no, it's like, I'm, I'm going to be a problem. This will be a problem. <laughs> You know what? Let me just uh, just take five, and I'll I'll, I'll yeah. finish this out. <laughs> yeah, I just brought a fresh batch of cookies. You want to yeah, yeah. those, and I'll just kind of. What are you thinking? Yeah. I mean, it's a choice. That's yeah, yeah, definitely yeah. a choice. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm not yeah. saying it's a good one, but it is a choice. But I think for for me, as someone who would direct, I'm not a writer. Um, having access to the writer like like I do, or like you you may. Uh, hopefully on a on a on a set, um, I think is is kind of like, you know, it's a huge asset, you know, and and I feel like it's it's only going to even if your interpretation or your how you envision the scene is different, for whatever reason, I feel like having that knowledge of what the uh, initial intent was, I think can only aid, and even if you're changing it up for whatever reason, um, I think that's that's only going to that's only going to help, e even if you're if it's informing your decision that is that is slightly different. I think um, it's it's priceless for me. You know, I'm very yeah. open to that collaborative kind of experience and stuff because at the end of the day, it's about the movie. It's not about me. It's not about what I think this should be. It's about what is going to fit this properly and what's going to how what's the best way to tell this film, uh, tell the story rather. And 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 uh, I don't know. I mean, look, people are different and they're all going to have different interpretations, different life experiences and provide different ways of experiencing things and what and all that fun stuff. But yeah, I don't know. It's just a huge resource, just like having a, a great DP or great actors or whatever, you know? Yeah, no, I, I totally agree, agree with you. Um, I think of it sometimes as like uh, if you were like working on a puzzle, because I think directing really is very similar to to working on a puzzle and you've decided to like, you're one of the people that do the perimeter first, mm -hmm. you know? And, and I think myself, the writer watching somebody direct, it's like, if I come in and start putting the face together on mm -hmm. the puzzle, yeah. which is like one of the funnest parts. Yeah. And then you're like, Hey, wait, yeah. <laughs> I, I, the, the director was eventually going to do that, you know? Yeah. So yeah, it's pretty tricky writing directing to to. This was the first experience I've ever had having somebody else 
direct uh, something I wrote. And so I was just balancing like uh, where it can be supportive and helpful and where uh, I wanted to make sure my vision wasn't that wasn't taking precedence because the uh, style wise shooting it, that really does come down to the director. Mm -hmm. So if I was like, Hey, I saw this as a long tracking shot and like they haven't been shooting the rest of, you know, cause I wasn't on set every day. Then you're like getting in the way of like, yeah. the aesthetics but i agree with you um from a writing standpoint is it's actually can be really helpful because script writing is not like like short stories where you can write all the intentions of the actor mm -hmm. you know as the writer you can't like spend a whole page being you know beating out exactly what the actor's thinking yeah and so have you ever been on the other side of that where you're directing something you haven't written and you have to collaborate with the writer not no not really i did a short years ago that somebody wanted me to direct but it was an actor who had written it and it was such a weird exp that i don't consider that the same experience because i was like well what do you are you know they're like i want to showcase my acting and i was like okay because there's a lot of words here yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i was like and having experience with festival circuits, I was like, this is not totally what they're, they're not, they don't, you know, it's rare that they really want two people just talking the uh -huh. whole time and nothing being very cinematic. And I was like, so are you wanting it to go to festivals or you just want to have it on your reel so it can help showcase? And they were like, no, we want everything. We wanted to play at major festivals. We want everyone to be impressed with our acting. And we, and it was this whole, like, <laughs> it was too much. Yeah. Yeah. Expectations were all over the place. That so I don't count that, but definitely that made me just want to write my own stuff. Mm. In the earlier I'm at a place right now where I'm trying to get people to send me material, like the studios and my agent. I'm like, can you find what's out there? Mm -hmm. Um and I'm kind of curious to see. There's a there's a film they just announced with uh, it's called She Rides Shotgun, and I can't. Remember, it's the guy from Blackbird, the main actor from Blackbird, is in okay. that. Mm -hmm. um, I initially Matt Damon was going to direct that. That was going to be his, oh really like, debut. Dropped off, dropped you know, like then went silent. Then Orm Overman was going to direct it. This is what I was hearing, mm -hmm. just reading the trades and stuff. Mm -hmm. So I asked my agent to like, Hey, could you get your hands on the script? They like talked about it four years ago and no one's talking about it. And the pitch was like a, a, a father daughter bank robbery film. And I was like, Ooh. Oh, <laughs> that sounds like super awesome. Yeah. And the script opens with, um, with the I don't know how the original will be, but the script opens with the dad robbing a, like a liquor store. He's got not enough money, just like he's like two dollars short or something like that, and he's buying like uh, like maxi pads for his daughter because she's having like her first period, mm -hmm. and the the clerk won't just. He's like, dude, I'm short, but like, yeah, look what I'm, like, can you? cut me a break and he's like no so then he goes into his car pulls out a crowbar comes in and like robs the place it <laughs> <laughs> takes addition and i was like dude i am all in yeah and you guys the script kind of got worse as it went along so i passed on it 
it's the first script I've read that I've, I'm excited to see the version of it because I'm like, maybe I just didn't have the director vision. Yeah, and maybe yeah. I need to work a little bit more on like, envisioning not envisioning like that's such a horrible scene and instead and in, like being like how do i work the scene to make it work mm -hmm. like how do i because the writer isn't writing crappy scenes right so and if i'm interpreting it that way how can i right like flip the interpretation what was so the like what was the genre for that was it like a drama thriller or dramedy it's kind of a, <laughs> yeah it's a drama thriller it's like he just gets out of prison. He pissed off some people in the in prison, like to be protected. You know, he like racked up a, an account, so he owes them money, and they're coming after. They're like, mm -hmm. "We're gonna kill your family if you don't pay this debt." So he goes, gets his daughter, and they go on the run as a result. And I was kind of, to be honest, when I read it, I was like, I was more interested in family bank robbering yeah you know yeah. that interesting idea that you would like pass it down yeah yeah like, like a yeah. Yeah. yeah and that's kind of what i thought the movie was gonna be and i had i had so then after i read that i i started doing some research and f I, I loosely found it was a mother da mother father daughter bank mm. robbery team but the information was very small and they acquitted the daughter on on age kind mm. of thing Okay, maybe I just have to make it up. <laughs> <laughs> I was automatically thinking kind of like uh, a place beyond the pines, but like with family. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Like that kind of. Yeah. That plus falling down, maybe. Yeah, falling, falling down a little bit, down. falling down a little the bit. Family movie, yeah. Um, yeah. So I wanted to, so I wanted to get into, uh, so you, you've worked with Clayne Crawford in both of those films. So um how did that start with you, like, developing a connection with him? Did you know him prior? Yeah, so I had done this short. The first short I ever had at Sundance was called Charlie and the Rabbit. Um, and I I had been at the festival, and I had seen him in a, a film called The Perfect Host, which is super, it's a super weird film. It's like the brother from Frasier's in it. Okay. It's about, <laughs> about a guy who, like, is trying to get away and then breaks into this house. I saw, wait, no, I saw that. Yeah. I didn't like, I didn't realize that that was Clayne Crawford, um, but I, I absolutely saw that, yes. <laughs> yeah, and it goes super weird. Yes, But it yes. was really cool. And watching that, I was like, oh, this guy's actually a really good actor, but pe people don't know yet. I mean, I don't know if you guys do this. I call all it fantasy time. football acting. Yeah. Uh, with acting, where you watch a movie and you're like, okay, that guy's definitely going to be somebody. Yes. You know, <laughs> like yeah. Three lines. You're like, okay, they crushed the three lines. Yeah. Yeah. I, there were years ago, just a little tangent, but there was a short film at Kukalor's Film Festival that I watched, and there was this small side character. In the story, it was the the main actress was from um, Six Feet Under. She's she's also in The Servant. I can't oh yeah, remember. oh yeah, yeah. Lauren Lauren uh, Ambrose. Lauren Ambrose. Amber, yeah. yeah. So she was in it, and there's this guy who has kind of this kind of crush on her, from what I remember. And I was like, this guy. There's like something about this guy. <laughs> Anyways, end up being Adam Driver. Oh, <laughs> I was like, right. yeah. <laughs> you're like, I don't know what it is, but he has it. He's got it. He has yeah. it. And he's gonna he's gonna do really really well. And then he was on Girls, and I was like, oh, I was right. And then yeah. he became who he is now, and I was like, yeah, this is great. Uh, so 
I the film that Cole Webley just directed was I had written a feature that was based off of a real experience in Nebraska in 2008. This they were the one of the last states to have a safe haven law, like to put in the safe haven law in place, which is you know that you can drop off a child in the first 60 days of having it mm -hmm. and it'll be a safe environment. Well, Nebraska didn't specify age because they didn't they were like why 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 would you specify age yeah which yeah. makes sense right <laughs> you're yeah. like if anyone needs to bring their kid it should be safe um and so i wrote a script kind of based off of that the last person to get their child in before nebraska rewrote the law was from davis california where i lived so i'm okay. like at the time, she dropped off her 14-year-old, and I was like, okay, what's a three-day drive wow. across the country with your children? And so I kind of – anyways, I had written that. I saw Perfect Host, and I, the producers that were working on the film at the time, I was like, could you get this to him? And they could. So we met that way, and then I couldn't get the film funded. Um and it kind of fell apart for a couple of years. And so we kept in touch and that ended up, um, he, I had written this short that was the date scene in Killing a Few Lovers. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting. It was like, I was like, it's, it was two cameras. So like one camera was on Nikki and one was on David and the, the whole film would be in two cameras. So you would see how they're responding to one another, like when David, when she goes in the house, you would see her at home and you would see him still in the car and all that stuff. Then I wrote it and was like, because we had been in touch for like five, six years. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what if we don't even like the same things? You know, yeah. <laughs> we had similarities in things. You know, we both had kids that were the same age. Anyways. He responded back after I sent that a couple months later and was like, can you make this a feature? And could we shoot it in November? And that was like in August. And so I just like went to town writing. And then I had something in October and we started Jeez. shooting in November. So that's kind of how we met. And then Integrity was a, was a miniseries that I had written I, I had like I hadn't written all seven episodes, but I had planned it out mm -hmm. what the episodes would be, and I had it. and And he was like, after he finished killing, he was like, "Can't could we just make the first episode?" And then since we're in the middle of COVID, and it's kind of a, I mean, it really was kind of a one hander. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I had to stretch. It was initially forty five minutes. Uh, you know, because it was going to be an episode. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of stretched that out. And it was kind of this effort to, like, no one's going to be making films during COVID. That was the thought process. The reality was everyone <laughs> held on to their movies yeah. and then studios still shot. Yeah. Everyone shot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that following year for festivals was, like, the worst because they were dealing with, like, two years like worth of material that they were and they're still i mean the repercussions right now of the festivals still film all the delays and mm -hmm. all the things are like you're dealing with um the major festivals dealing with so, such an oversaturation of like of material right that's now. why they didn't take our film i was oh, wondering about that is that what it is <laughs> <laughs> i like yeah, that I mean, 
Yeah, they took last year. I had a student who had a film at Sundance. They had fourteen thousand short films. Wow! And they took sixty-eight. So Jeez. you're like, wow. it's wow. like everyone decided to become a filmmaker during yeah, COVID. Yeah. They were like, you know what? <laughs> like, yeah. let's just let's it, just it, make a movie. A lot of <laughs> like, a lot of one room single character yes, pieces. Yeah, a yeah, whole lot of that. Whole lot. Of, well, we were a, a a single character backyard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> there was that at yeah. least. Um, yeah, so, so going, going back into, to the killing of two lovers, we watched, watched this film and, um, and actually, what sucked me in was the title. Can I, what? Can I just quickly interrupt you? Thanks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, the, sure. the, the killing of two lovers was a film just broadly speaking before you get into it is like one of those films that I watched it and I was like, this film's really good. And then like a week later, yeah, you I was like, with it. this film is brilliant. It was so. It Thanks. was one of those like late grenade. It hit you late. Yeah, things. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, it was. It if it, it was the first one of the first films that really affected me that way in such a long time, where it just kind of sits with you and you think about it and every. It's the, one of those films where you look at like every single shot of this film was meticulously planned out for a purpose of t the storytelling versus just let's get the coverage we need and we'll just cut in between it all this this film for me was like i don't know it was it was, it was intention behind ugh, yeah, yeah so it, it seemed intentional but i mean you you Thanks. know you pull people in with an opening scene like that because you're like oh yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. uh i don't know if i was on this guy's side but maybe not i don't know uh but my favorite honestly my favorite uh scene from that film was actually the very end and just that scene in the car because as as much as the tension had been building between the boyfriend uh i didn't see it going where it was and when they started he just started like flying off the handle i was like oh shit <laughs> like this is not going where i thought it would go and then uh you know his reaction to that just this that high anxiety in that moment in the car you know of just like yeah. How do you take something like that happening? Because clearly he didn't see that coming either. You know, he was kind of like he was he was coming up broad chested and then wound up getting schooled. <laughs> so it's like yeah, yeah. okay, um, but yeah, it was it that um, Joseph Chambers actually hit me that way. It was the opposite. So like I, I Killing of Two Lovers, I was like love this love. I it, it, I got it all. And then I think because of because Joseph of my Chambers, experience with maybe, Two Lovers, I, I went into maybe. this one like ready yeah. to kind of absorb in that way well maybe. like with with joseph chambers you were just like well, we us, saw we're gonna fan, fan you're not even here no. you. <laughs> 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 um well like it was so i i saw Clayne crawford i'm like oh it's like oh he he used the same actress like i love that so when he works with me he'll work with me again i love it and then uh <laughs> and then you know so you're you're going through the motion of this and it was just one of those films that I enjoyed it, but I was so frustrated with his decision making. I was just like, my dude, you're killing me. <laughs> like, if you had just. But then at the end of it, I'm realizing after we had actually reviewed it on the show, I was like, did I seriously sit there and try to justify what I would do had I accidentally shot somebody? Because I just kept saying, just say that he came, he snuck up on you. Just say that he snuck up on you, which is a lie. But it was totally justifiable as the audience yeah. because you want to you want to help him and you want to be on his side. So I'm like, look, this guy is like he's some homeless guy in the woods. Uh, he came up on me. 
I shot. <laughs> like just trying to come up with all the justifications that I could to get him out of You'll this. You'll be fine. This is America. <laughs> It'll work. <laughs> um, but like, and then we hit this moment where you got me for a second. I got really mad at you for a second when I was like, <laughs> no. He is not going, the, the dude with this anxiety level is not just going about his business like this didn't happen and he's just driving home. I was like, he lost me. He lost me. I'm so upset he lost me. And then, <laughs> and then boom, it was like, okay, yes. <sighs> Thank you. Because I was like, this guy would yeah. never survive. He could not, he could not play that off if he tried. And I loved that he had this moment because we would all have that moment of like, could I possibly act like this didn't happen? And so, but it played out so flawlessly that I was like angry because <laughs> I was like, <laughs> no. Um, and then Jeffrey Dean Morgan flew out of nowhere because he lives like an hour away from us. And we were like, he got Jeffrey Dean Morgan. <laughs> like, and I love that he, that he did that, that he had a, just this small part at the end, you know? Um, and, and I, I mean, as much as I would like to see uh, Clayne Crawford just like blow up, I love when I don't really know an actor in something. You know, because like I have this thing when we it's like David O. Russell's films make me crazy because it's like he gets 5000 celebrities and they're all sh like sharing a scene. And I'm like, I don't know who to focus on right now because there's too many people in this movie and now I'm lost. <laughs> but your films were, you know, with with killing, it was like I didn't know any of these actors and I loved that about it. I was just so invested in like, where is this going? Mm. Yeah, I, I, there's a lot of value in that. I mean, it makes, what sucks is it's really actually difficult to finance movies. You know, the star power is exactly, what obviously yeah. makes people comfortable. And it's like, thankfully, I agree with you with David Russell, but I at least appreciate even like the guy opening the door will be somebody we know. So mm -hmm. at least it's like everyone yeah. is somebody, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, but yeah, Carlos Regatta said early on, he talked about this his film he did Silent Light with some Mennonites, and he cast Mennonites. Uh, and he said, if I had cast Brad Pitt and, you know, Nicole Kidman, then you would see Brad Pitt and Nicole Kidman playing Mennonites. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Whereas because I cast Mennonites, you that's all you can see is the actual people. And what's crazy is there's a slew of of actors that are unbelievably talented but haven't gotten there and the stories are just countless right you mm -hmm. know you're like john ham taught high school until he like really made it on Mad Men, or you just hear these kind of like stories where you're like what in the world and i wish we could get movies more easily financed with those actors because they do like they allow you to just live in the world because you don't know any of their ticks or quirks or mm -hmm. like yeah. Nicolas Cage does great movies and awful movies, but he's always Nicolas always Cage, Nicolas Cage yeah. regardless, yeah. you know, and there arrives at a point, even watching um, <clears throat> Killers of a Flower Moon, you're like, I like DiCaprio, but he's got his like, I'm throwing a fit performance now <laughs> yeah yeah because he's been in so many movies that have asked him to like explode yes and yeah. you're like okay this is now it's, i'm watching it's funny you say that because i'm a huge dicaprio fan since i was like a child and so, um it started with a crush and it followed through my entire life but uh he's an he's an amazing actor i absolutely love him he's one of my favorite but i i when 
we got to the end scene when he's in the prison and he gets the news about his kid. Um, I said, I could pick out that man's cry anywhere. Like the second he starts crying, I know that's Leonardo Di- DiCaprio crying. Yeah. It's a very distinctive cry. And so yeah. I, I get that. There's, It's like, did he do a good well, job? Yeah, but I... It was Leonardo DiCaprio. I always know when he raises his voice, when he laughs, like yeah. it's it's I mean, still that's him. For most people, the Brad Pitt yeah. and the DiCaprio. Well, not everybody could be Gary Oldman, but whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, but I think it goes to the bigger point of, of of his point of like this is what it's comfortable. This is what people know, yeah. and they want to go in. The, and and I think that has permeated into the stories and genres themselves, right? Where you have these story beats that you have to maintain so that the the audience. When when a film had these story beats, it made this much money. So every film has to have these, you know, and all that. And so I feel like it's just so seeing films that you make is just so refreshing. And and you know, in a in a world where studios are un uh, afraid to make ch- take chances, and to a certain degree, I get it because it's a lot of money they're putting on the line, and they, there is a return they want. So I get the 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 that aspect of it, the business aspect of it. But I still feel like um a lot most of the times when films make a big return especially if they're lower budget it's when somebody took a chance you know yeah yeah you know like get out and like all those films that like you make them for like 10 million and they make 100 million at the box office and whatever so yeah it's a very interesting the thing i've been talking about uh this last uh couple weeks after seeing um killers of a flower moon is um I'm like, we have Oppenheimer that was made for $100 million, and we have Flower Moon that was made for $200 million. And if you watch the movies, you're like, side by side, you're like, okay, production value and actor, you know, it's it's not DiCaprio, mm-hmm. but, you know, Killian Murphy's not nobody. I mean, he's definitely right, not no. DiCaprio, but... But is is it a hundred? You know, it's like yeah. is it a hundred million dollars more? Yeah, right. Or and it's like, I really have questioned lately. Just the like the industry is going to kill itself by consistently yeah. being irresponsible. Yep. Where I feel like there's a line of of writer directors that would be happy to be fiscally responsible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And make something. You know, Get Out's a great example. I mean, I think they. I don't know what their budget was. I had heard it was four million, but yeah, I don't, it was really I don't low. know. I don't know what they end up really being. But he's been pretty fiscally responsible. So when you get to Nope, I don't know what the budget on Nope was even, but you can feel the the responsibility in the storytelling, yeah. and you can like you're like, oh, this is really helpful. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> where, if, where if somebody blows, you know, like a hundred million dollars, yeah. and the movie tanks. I was like, you're hurting everyone. Like, uh, you know, like Northman did nobody favors in the indie world. Mm. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's like, it's not necessarily someone like Edger's responsibility to, like, look out for the other independent filmmakers. Right. But at the same time, as an independent filmmaker, when you sit in that movie theater, you're like, dude, you just like, yeah. the next two years of meetings is going to suck. Because <laughs> but be then like, you have something like the creator. That comes out and it's like, all right, you know, like I, I appreciate, you know, so much of the the marketing of that film was like he shot on this cheap camera and he only made it for 80 million. And there's tons of visual effects and blah, blah, blah. So I was hoping that that film would gain more traction just because of that aspect of it. You know, whether you love the story or hate it, whatever is to me was 
irrelevant because I wanted people to take note of the fact that like Oppenheimer was two hundred million dollars and this film was eighty million dollars, which I still feel is a little bit much, but um yeah. you know, like the how is that film more than twice the amount of this film when this film had went to all these crazy locations all over the world every basically every frame had a visual effect of some sort in it you know and so like uh i mean that's probably more a visual effects conversation but it's it's just crazy how but like, then there's point, also like irresponsible we, everything we is. watch stuff and then gone like we go back into the budget and you're like oh okay so this had a 40 million dollar budget oh and then this a-lister got paid 15 million you're like well shit i mean there goes almost a quarter of the but you know it's just like all right you know and little things too when we've talked to people on the show and they're like oh i was on the set and it was like the 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 craft service was amazing it was like a venetian hour and i'm like is that necessary though i mean it's nice at a wedding right you know like that's cool i guess i'm not paying for this but you know if, if you say to me i can get you more work in quality films if you're willing to just hang out at a holiday inn i think it, it's like yeah I, let's do that I think you know goes, what i mean i think it goes beyond that even what, where like, it's 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 even outside of that where it's like, oh for sure you know but you, it, you can still have trickles all of down. that stuff and i feel like so much of that money to me from an more or less an outsider's perspective it's a lot of that is is being made in like decision making and reshoots because this didn't test well and this sort of thing and yeah. I, I would just love to see people like commit to something and then find out the most efficient way to make it and then make it that way. And then, you know, and so maybe it doesn't do so well, but now you've only lost 80 million. You haven't lost 200 million. And I feel like it's so much more sustainable. I don't know, like what your experience is with, with dealing with budgets and, 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 and all that stuff. Yeah. It's been really difficult. I wrote a, I wrote a script uh, called I love you now and forever that I'm uh, working on getting financed now. And I wrote it, under the idea of like trying to better learn how the studios work because independent, you can live your whole life writing and then independently trying to find your money. You know, that world is always going to be there because there's, (laughs) there's nobody, you know, holding the keys. You just have to find somebody who has money and willing, who's willing to invest. And, and, but all these filmmakers that I actually love, it's kind of like when people thought that the Beatles were like this, rebel indie rock and you were like no you're like put all your albums on came out on major studios yeah. Yeah. you know yeah. they talk about the 60s like even like uh uh what what was it called anyways that big festival i'm drawing a blank on it right now Woodstock? yeah woodstock and how that was like and i'm like dude those guys are you have like the equivalent of like Brad Pitts or yeah. Maroon Five or yeah, you know yeah. it's like these are not indie people running Woodstock. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> big people. And I go back and I'll look at films like Tulane Blacktop, which is one of my favorite. And it's like, okay, that wasn't uh, an indie. It wasn't indie, but like the studios were involved in that. Yeah, yeah. And like uh, Barbara Loden's film, Wanda, which is another reference for me with Killing of Two Lovers. It's like, I didn't know she was Marla, married to, you know, Eli Kazan. So it was, it's like, yeah, yeah. you made this indie movie for $100,000, but she had like, holy crap, the wealth of knowledge. Right, exactly. You know, yeah. she could just turn and be like, so I was wondering. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We deal with um, that sometimes when we'll have guests on, they'll be like, yeah, I did this film and. So a buddy of mine knew Brad Pitt and then he got the script to this, you know, and it's and like, like, yeah, well, there's, yeah. you kind of skip over that. And that's 
probably the crux of it's not the only reason you made it if you know you have talent then kudos to you for you know i I don't want to shade anybody for having a connection good on you but it's like i I feel like it's it's a big piece of that puzzle that a lot of people don't want to acknowledge because then they feel like they are somehow cheapening their contribution to it all yeah not at all i mean for me this experience is trying to figure out how do i get to like the 20 30 million dollar which feels like is the considered now the mid-range budget that's that sounds like an astronomical amount of money to me still mm-hmm. yeah but it's like it's where what is called like you can have actors and you can have you know yeah 60 days to shoot mm-hmm. you know yeah. and 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 so i'm trying to like how do i navigate that because for me anyways maybe the way i'm trying to like justify this ex- experiment or experience is like there's so much great American cinema. How do I contribute to that? Yeah. You know, because it's an area that's being under attack right now in the sense of like this mid-range budget movie is like actually very difficult to get made. I, I mean, we just saw Priscilla this weekend, which was, I think, 10 million. Did you like that? I haven't seen it. <clears throat> it's a very interesting movie. Okay. <clears throat> when you, you should watch it reading nothing and just go in and mm-hmm. see it and then read about it later because I, this article I read was about the hardships of that movie, getting mm. that movie made. And Sofia Coppola, you're like, how is that <laughs> yeah. difficult? You own like a $2 billion winery. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just finance your movies with, you know, the income from your winery. And the answer is no. She still follows traditional mm-hmm. like process of raising money like everybody else. Um, but you can feel the constraints. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's it, that's very interesting. Huh. But but it's like if someone like Sofia Coppola is struggling to get a movie made, it's like where are we? Yeah. Exactly. Well, Scorsese like struggled to make films in the past too. So it's you know I feel like you know no no one is bigger than money, right? And if if a studio doesn't feel like your pitch or your whatever isn't going to return their investment, then I don't care. They don't care who you are. But I don't think they really know, to be honest. My meetings uh, that I've taken over. Well, the they last obviously year, don't know anything. <laughs> they didn't feel like they don't totally. They're, you know, everyone's looking at A24 because A24 is like getting all this attention, but A24 is doing what like Focus Films did, mm-hmm. you know, a whole Magnolia did at one point. It's like, which is like you built a brand. The brand was like, the movies are good so that people can just walk into the movie theater and watch it without any real like knowledge. And that means you can cast stars that aren't necessarily giant. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reality of it is like some of them make money. Some of them do not. Some of them they hide, you know, cause they're, mm-hmm. they didn't work. And the ones that do work, they push and they're just following that like standard. But what I, I, I wish I could see on the other side, like the inside of it, because I have a feeling that the filmmakers are being responsible with what they have access to. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I would bet money there wasn't like fancy catering as right, uh, yeah. on Priscilla. There probably was good catering, probably really healthy food. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there wasn't like waste That everyone on set was economical Mm -hmm. and that you had hired a crew willing to be economical Mm -hmm. and you're hiring actors willing to exist in that economy. And I think more actors are willing. I mean, a thing I read about Alexander Payne recently, because he's an idol of mine, and he was like, 
Actually, big actors are looking for really good material. Yeah. He's like, it's the writer's fault for not writing movie, good movies to get made. Because he's like, you can always get, uh, you know, he's always had really big stars. I don't even, th- I mean, I, I tend to always blame the studios because the writers are going to write what sells. Because they have to make a living, they have to pay rent. So they're going to write what the studios are going to buy. Um, yeah. I think but, the writers should do, they should take the Soderbergh approach, though. One for them, yeah, one for sure. Uh, yeah. We always talk about yeah. that, how it's, you know, I was like, like I will would easily... I direct Sharknado 12? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> but then I'm going to go make three or four of my independent films right after that, you know? So yeah. it's, you yeah. know, it's, I, I feel like. I, I've read quite a few scripts from the studios. And to be honest, you can read the hired writer. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's very like they're just trying to meet the deadline. Yeah. And so they lean into like the tropes of whatever genre I'm reading. And it's really actually disappointing. I've been in situations with films I actually like. I liked the book and I tried to get access to the book and they had already written the script version of Mm -hmm. it. And so they'll send me the script to consider directing. And I'm like, oh, you guys hired this writer, didn't you? And they're like, we did. I was like, there's no consideration. Like, I, I feel like they don't care whether this movie gets made or not. Yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. And I'm like, yeah. that sucks for me. Because then I'm like, hey, let me do a rewrite on it. And they're like, we spent so much money mm-hmm. yeah. on the initial rewrite and the acquisition of the actual original book. And I'm coming in like, I'm just like, what the heck, man? Yeah. So I think writers carry a burden, at least what I'm reading. Yeah, and I... Yeah. I openly admit I'm not reading what David or Russell's getting. I'm not reading what Spielberg's getting. I'm not read. There's a whole slew of pretty amazing writers, and because I'm such a small director, that material is not coming my way. Sure. Um, but I am reading stuff that studios paid to have written. I'm not reading spec scripts from uh, writers that are just like hoping I consider collaborating with them. Yeah. 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 My thing, whole thing has always been like, and this kind of bleeds into bigger budget films, your Star Wars and Marvels and stuff, but it's like, you know, uh, uh, what be it writers or producers or directors or whoever, you know, want to, you know, they love bleeding something dry and that's what, it, you know, that's Hollywood's going to Hollywood. But like, there's no, no one willing to take a risk on who's the next, who's going to make the next Star Wars, who's going to make the next Marvel thing, just even in that world, right? We're not even talking about indie stuff. And, and, you know, because then that trickles down, right? Whatever happens up here tends to trickle down a lot of times to 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 lower budget stuff. And I just that's what you, scares me is like you're we're gonna well, like keep recycling this stuff, and you know, and and I'm of the mindset of like I think there's room for everything in there. I think if you love your Star Wars films, they can still be made and people can go see them. But then if you don't like them, that that but that's not all that should be there, right? You know, to your point earlier, I think. That twenty to fifty to sixty million dollar film of like a beautiful mind is a perfect example of like that movie would never that would be a streaming film now. Yeah. You know, and so like I just would love to see like a democratization of of that whole kind of thing, you know. They're in a weird they're in a weird spot. And I'm not inside, so I don't know how yeah, much yeah. they're aware of it. But they are running off the nostalgia of late thirty uh early 40 year olds mm-hmm. with star wars and marvel yes like i have kids that uh and those kids are not invested yep in marvel or star wars my son could care the, less like, about any of those things because there's there's too many now yeah, yeah. it's like it's like coming into a, a band 
on their 10th album. Yeah, yeah. As opposed to like just the, being alive when the first album came out and you went like, holy crap, this is amazing. So there is not the same like love obsession. There isn't like 15 years of no nothing made within that genre. Mm-hmm. And then it being like being brought back. And they're not like you like you stated, they're not built. My kids don't have like what's the movie that when they're in their 30s is going to release and they go, oh, my gosh. I always you know, like I saw I went and saw the trans like Michael Bay's first Transformers in theater. And I had read this article that was like my generation is not nostalgic. And so. They didn't want to, the studios didn't want to even make Transformers because they're like, oh, they're, they, no one's going to go see it because they're not into nostalgia. Michael Bay proved them wrong, and then everyone jumped on the nostalgia train. Mm-hmm. But nobody, they've baked nothing into the younger, like my kids, we watched Five Nights at Freddy's. That was the thing they were excited about. Yeah. And it's like, because they had been playing that game yeah. for like yeah. six, seven years. Right. And then they, they dropped YouTubers in it. Yep. Right, yeah. Know. And I'm like, that's their world, though. Their yeah. world is YouTubers. Yeah. And I was like, you guys are not, you're not building the crop. Right. And yeah. then the other aspect that's like crazy that I wish they would consider, that I don't know if they're considering as well, is my children have seen more movies in the, in the like my 16-year-old has seen more movies in his 16 years than I ever did at that age yeah, oh yeah. because I was still having to go to the theater or rent from VHS mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he'll sit down. Like he sat down last month and just like revisited Jim Carrey's catalog. Yeah. So the new movie that isn't sitting in the theater right now is also competing with liar, liar. The movie that's yeah. streaming is competing with Ace Ventura and As like they should, cause it, those are classic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And and I that we weren't having that same I wasn't having that same competition. Right. When I walked mm-hmm. into a blockbuster, it wasn't a million possible titles. Right. Yeah. It was like the movie, the current movies, the one there was like the four or five things that had gone to Sundance and done really well in a mm-hmm. student Magnolia or a studio like that at bottom. And then it was like the older catalog. And I didn't even know you would have to like someone would have to tell you. Like, oh, you have to make sure you see Apocalypse Now for right. you to like yeah. go and go see that. Yeah. yeah. And and so it's it, it'll be interesting 20 years from now because I'm like, you guys are not and the Marvel and the uh and the Star Wars thing, people are keep saying it's dying. It's not necessarily dying, but it's going, it's dropping. It's it's like the second week of a mo- movie, you know, and they're yeah. like, oh, it dropped fifty-four percent. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's like going from, you know, it's not making a billion in the first month anymore. It's yeah. like, okay, I make a billion over six months. Yeah. And it's and plus, that's, that's plus a... I mean, just real quick on that, I think the studio, the, the studio, the theatrical experience isn't the same anymore either. It's no. it's like we we still go, but it's like annoying. Rarely, though. Not even you know? as much as we used to. Like people in there on their phones I will admit, and stuff, and it's like, oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, we went to see Priscilla. I was I I, I love Sofia Coppola, so I was really excited because I was like, I'll be able to see this in theater. Yeah. It's like her cinematography is always like very like deliberate, and I was very excited about that. And then these like uh, early twenty year olds came into the front row and they walked into the theater chatting loud, <laughs> you know. And I was like, Oh no! Yes! Yeah. Oh no! And I had the same experience with Ghost Story. 
where that same thing happened. I was like, I think they took the title literal and they think they're watching a horror movie. Oh, no. Yeah. 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 So I sit down and they're on their phones the whole time. So the movie ends and I say to Rebecca, I'm like, why did they? Why are they in the movie theater? Why did they come? And she was like, oh, Jacob's in Euphoria. Yeah. They all just came to see Jacob. And I was like, oh, man, I wish I would have known that. And she's like, everyone here except for us. Like, we're <laughs> probably the only ones in here that came to see Sofia Coppola's movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, so this 10 minutes in, when they were like, oh, this is a slow burn, they were like, bored. Yep. Like, they get yeah, used I to think that, they were like, hoping for some nudity. Watching yeah. whatever content they're watching and on their phone at the same time. And then they bring that experience to the theater. And it's so yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. it's and but like to the to the the Star Wars comment. I mean, I it's proven even in that I was I was a kid that just sat down and watched movies all day. Uh, my sister and I are nine years apart, so I was almost like an only child. And it's like all I did was watch movies. I had drawers and drawers of VHSs, and I would just watch the same things over and over again. Um, but I never got into Star Wars. There was nobody that introduced that to me. And so by the time I watched Star Wars, when I was already a teenager, I was like, this is stupid. <laughs> like, you know, like, and so I appreciate the nostalgia for other people. And we've actually uh, talked about possibly doing like a, a YouTube thing where I sit down and watch the original Star Wars because I've seen bits and pieces. I've never sat through a, a full film. But like when I tried, I was like, I was like, this is this is a nostalgia that you had to love as a child. You watched Star Wars for the first time as a kid and you were blown away by it. But then as things have improved and cinematography and stuff, you're like, that's nah, this isn't probably isn't so great. I mean, even something like The Matrix. I saw The Matrix in the theater and I remember being like, holy shit, you know, we'd never seen anything like that. Mm-hmm. If you watch it now, you can pick things apart, obviously. But for its time, it was still amazing. You know, it's still a great film, but you could do that with so many things. And so it's like I, with the lure of Star Wars that, you know, uh, it never it never clicked with me because I didn't have that moment, you know. I, so I was naturally very angry when they made another Bill and Ted because I was like, stop doing that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Don't do that. You're ruining things. And look, I move on with my life. I watched it and I was like, yeah, this was not entertaining like the way I thought it was going to be. I knew it wasn't going to be entertaining because what made that movie great was that it was the 80s, you know, and, and you were watching yeah. it that time. And I was like, I don't want to see these characters looking like you know they can get an AARP card that's not cool to me you know what I mean <laughs> that shit makes me feel really old and this movie <laughs> is upsetting me I don't want to see any more stuff uh that's remade or or going on the nostalgia wagon like I want to see things that are new and and it's crazy that you say like you know that you're a small filmmaker because for us we're like oh my god if we could make movies like he makes that would be because you know we're working on six thousand dollar budgets you know that we're crowdfunding and um and we will always ask people and it's always the same thing like so we how did how did you get this produced then like Paul said it, it it's this explanation and then there's always this producer that they knew somewhere and i'm like well that's what it is is that we don't know any producers so yeah (laughs) it's the the not knowing producers and it's the studios no longer taking risks on up-and-coming filmmakers i mean Mm. that's the scariest thing with festivals the festivals are a bit under attack and the dialogue's been out there that you're not creating anyone who's gonna be able to come up Mm. 
And you know, like Gummo is one of my favorite films. And, yeah. and re reading about that, it was this period of time when the studios were, were just giving artists yes. money to see what happens, you know, and offsetting some of it was like, you know, you need write-offs when your films make money, otherwise you're gonna pay a lot in taxes. Mm -hmm. And so they were giving other these these filmmakers with low risks, yeah. mm -hmm. like like we're probably not gonna see this money again. And I'm like, man. That's amazing. So something like Gummo ends up getting made as mm -hmm. a result of that. And it's like, I wish, you know, we had that same thing going on where filmmakers were getting. I mean, even like some of the filmmakers like M. Night Shyamalan has a film that got shelved because the studios like spent the money and it, for him to learn. Mm -hmm. And then he made a it was like a million or something like that makes it doesn't do well and they can shelve it and they're like but we could see your potential right. in the making of that yeah there was a lot i mean if you go back and you just go through any of the classic directors spielberg scorsese and you go back to their corman films mm -hmm. you're like oh how the heck did you become <laughs> yeah. you are yeah you know and it's like the fact that they were looking at promise imagine making like someone making dual today mm. yeah they would watch that movie and be like cool that probably have played at festivals and that guy would still be struggling to get a movie made he mm. wouldn't be eventually making jurassic park because yeah. they're not setting that that system up and same with scorsese's first movie is just like not not that great mm. like i don't know if his his first not the corman one but the other one he made after that is like who's knocking at my door is that what it's called? Yeah. with cartel it's like not a great film. It shows potential of a director. Mm -hmm. Like you can see that, but would it play at festivals today? I don't think that it would. I think the competition is too high. Yeah. That a film cuz the, the cut the editing of it's like, you know, he's struggling to like make stuff that he didn't block very well yeah. and work and so forth. And and it, I don't want to take away from them. I just wish there was more like awareness of that. Yeah. It's yeah. really and tricky. It's like, anyways, that a filmmaker, if you made a film at Sundance, for example, that studios would be like, we, we, like they would come and be like, okay, you've made a film. Sundance is kind of like a gatekeeper for independence. Yeah. We're willing to take a risk. What do you have? We'll take that. And it wasn't like, because everyone coming out of Sundance that I know that eventually does go on and make a film almost right away, it's the same. The the story that you're, I you know, I had a short at at Sundance when Whiplash the short was there mm. and and Damien kept being like they're like how did you get the film the, the script to JK Simmons and he's like we just like sent it to his agent and he was down to do it and I was like really <laughs> yeah really? That, that that's what happened you just sent it to the agent and he was like hey JK Simmons you want to do a short yeah <laughs> yeah film? and it's like no the real story is he had the feature he had a, a well-known producer that knew JK Simmons they made the short to prove that he could direct mm -hmm. And then they went into production on the feature. I was like, that's the real narrative. He yeah. he knew someone. Yeah. Yeah. And that's fine. Like that's not anything to take away from them, but it's like Yeah, but they yeah. want that sensational story, the overnight success story of like, oh, he just whatever. Yeah. But it could it I, creates such a false just, narrative for everyone else yeah. that's coming up because then you how know, many scripts did th their agent get after that we, <laughs> did, uh, <laughs> you know? we did this with the uh, with paranormal activity right you know it's just like oh this he made this for nothing and it was whatever and it's like yeah you left out the part where he knew somebody who sent it to spielberg 
And that's how this blew up. Like, I don't yeah. know anyone who even knows anyone who knows somebody who knows Spielberg. Okay? <laughs> like, yeah. not even yeah. that. The closest to Scorsese we ever came was that we stayed at one of his family members Airbnbs in Philadelphia. Out of the blue, we, yeah. we were in a basement apartment, we and left she the scripts lying around everywhere. <laughs> and she happened Nothing. to go like, "Oh, what do you guys do?" And we're like, "Oh, you know, we make films and stuff." And she was like, "Oh, my cousin or brother-in-law, something like that, is Martin Scorsese." I was like, "What?" You know, that's the closest. Yeah. You know, it just a happenstance that 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 happens. But um, yeah, it creates this this weird false narrative that it's like, "Oh, if you just make something good enough, you'll be discovered." And that's where we just stopped. I mean, look, it, it's always something I hope happens, right? It would be nice uh, if somebody sees your work or sees potential, sees something that you're in and goes like, hey, I think you would be great for this. But that just doesn't exist anymore. I miss stuff from the 90s. A movie like Kids would never get made today. Yeah. Never get made. Well, but it would be a YouTube series. Probably. Well, <laughs> I mean, I guess the closest yeah. we have to it is probably Euphoria. Yeah. <laughs> like, but... <laughs> Sort of. Yeah. <laughs> clerks would be clerks would be the same way. Yeah. Clerks, yeah. I don't know if that would play at a festival today, but it would definitely like go viral on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think it's 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 because things are so much more obtainable now, right? Like back in the day, if you made a film, if you're Robert Rodriguez and you make a film, uh, not many people knew how to even like work a camera or develop a film or any of that sort of stuff. So you're already in a class that is pretty uh, uh, isolating at that point. And so, but now like you can go to Best Buy and grab a DSLR and uh, I'm aging yeah. myself with the Best Buy reference, but you could just- Radio go, Shack. Yeah, you can go to Radio Shack <laughs> and get yourself a DSLR and make a film and put it on YouTube and you know, maybe it'll get, you know, so I think like there's the benefits of that is that things are more accessible. And so there's more opportunities for a lot of people like us possibly to, get out there and, and whatever. But then there's also a ton more of stuff that we have to fish through to be seen or there's so much competition. Just, just so much. There's yeah, so much so. more competition. Yeah. yeah. It's very, it's very tricky. The d democratization is really exciting. It is. Yeah. Um, and, and, but what's interesting about that is the result of it is you run the same risks as a studio, you end up in the same risks as a studio, you know, in the sense of you could just like raise $40,000 and make something so bonkers because you're like, I've got no limitations. And so I'm just going to make, you know, this thing I've always wanted to make. And it could be so bonkers, no one connects with it. And mm -hmm. it's like, there you blew the, your, the access to 40 grand that right. you yeah. had your hands on. Whereas, what you what most likely is going to end up happening is if you got access to forty grand, you're like, how can I be really responsible? Yeah. And not necessarily that you make a genre movie, but you'll make something that like, how can I connect with the largest audience as opposed to how can I make something so isolating that like only I get it? Yeah. And Do so it's it's weird because you 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 almost end up considering the same things as studios like consider yeah. in that 100%. way. Absolutely. Because I, you really yeah. like a kid one time called me and he had his uncle was somebody. So he was going to make his first film for and he had $2 million already. Wow. He's like, I got $2 million. So I want to make this thing. And I was like, I wouldn't you, like, he hadn't even made a short film. I was like, wow. that's the one time you're going to have $2 million. Like, yeah. Yeah. Make like two, three shorts, learn how to make films. The really great part of it is that you can make stuff that 
isn't going to be held against you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you can make a lot of, of really bad stuff while you kind of learn what your style and aesthetic and your voice is. That's the part that is really exciting. But then you have to be more conscious than I think even uh, Scorsese was when you make your first film because they put so much weight on first film. Absolutely. That uh, was always like, like if you go David Lowry's Saint Nick, it's a fine movie. It's not great. And it's like it's another one that like if anyone who watched Saint Nick, I don't know how they were like, he's eventually going to go make, you know, Peter Pan and Wendy. Mm. I don't think anyone would have banked that. But he was learning. Right. And the stakes were kind of low in that. And so when I hear all the, the big guys like Scorsese be like, go make a movie. And I'm like. I hear you. Yeah. <laughs> I get I what you're you. saying. It's not the '80s, though. It doesn't. I know. would love it if you did. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Two hundred million. Maybe. I would love to see any of those. Ron Howard, Spielberg, mm-hmm. uh, all of them. Like, I would love to see them make a movie for a million dollars, like yeah. right now. Yeah. Right. And be like, you just to just to make their statement of like, you can do it. I'm yeah. like, well, then show me. Yeah. 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 My first thing I always tell people when we're we talk to people that are like, oh, I want to start making films and stuff. Uh, and they're like, so I'm going to make this feature. I'm like, don't do that. You've never made a film before. I, we've been making films together for 16 years. I don't know how many shorts we've had at this point. Sh- between shorts and skits, probably close to 30 over 16 years. I'm still stressing about making a feature because I'm like, there's no going back. That would be the f- like, if we oh, make this feature, feature yeah. and it's shit, you know, <laughs> it's like that was the feature. And so, and for me, it's always genre, right? Where it's like, my wheelhouse is, uh, my my sister once was like, your films are like like 20 minute antidepressant commercials. Like they just fucking bum me out. And I'm just like, that's what I like writing. I'm <laughs> like, I like writing dramas. I love, if I had my way, I would write a lot of like psychological type of thriller, Shutter Island type shit. I love stuff like that. Yeah. But then there's a part of you that goes like, if we ever got access to that, there's the temptation to make a horror movie because you're almost guaranteed it's a built-in audience, right? Even if it's not great, you have people that are going to watch it because it's a horror movie. And I like horror movies, but I don't love especially modern horror movies. So I'm like, yeah. it's that toss-up. Like, do you make something that you don't really love or believe in because it's what could potentially get your foot in the door? What if you still fail at that? It's so, yeah. it's such a gamble. And what I like so much about your films is that, like, I can watch your movie, not just because you've worked with the same actor and so I recognize him, but you have a look. You have worked with uh, Oscar Jimenez, which we're actually having on the show. Um, oh, awesome. We're interviewing him next week, I believe. Um, you guys work great together. You know, he, as a DP, you're well, like... Th- it looks like they work great together. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they hate each other. <laughs> Maybe they hate much. each other. I don't know. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> you, you watch his cinematography and you're like, that guy's got a look. That he's got to look, yeah. he's got, you know, the, his tracking shot. Like you could tell what he likes to do. And you as a director, you have a look, you have a, as a, as a writer, you have, you know, it, it's, it's recognizable. And I love that. I love when you can tell somebody's work without seeing it. You know that they have like this thing. And uh, so I, I wonder, is there, like, would you ever do something like a comedy or just, is that a interesting to you? Based, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm very interested. I I think comedy is one of the hardest things to do. It is, yes. yeah. So I I dip my toe in it here and there. Is not not as a a whole film, 
but you know the ebb and flow of of killing two lovers is the the comedic aspects are always coming from the kids mm-hmm. um and so I wrote those knowing that that and, and I'm writing a short right now that I hope to shoot in a couple months that's very like if I'm going to go into like any type of genre the 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 guys that I really love are like the Bruce Willis's the like those dramas that have comedy mm-hmm. in them mm-hmm. you know yeah. and the kind of the guy who's very much like uh in an idiot in some like level i mean for for some aspects of integrity there's a lot of like very much comedy yeah. built into that like and he when i was writing that that uh, that was like oh here's the idiot and yeah. If we had made that in other circumstances, it would have even been more ridiculous. We were just on such a tight schedule and a, and a tight budget. And I really wanted to push like a lot more slapstick in that movie because mm-hmm. I think that's a genre. I was like, OK, Melissa McCarthy is the only one I know right now who still is doing like a lot of slapstick yeah. stuff. Yeah. And I love all that physical performance. Uh, not, like Ryan Gosling does it every now and again like a mm-hmm. nice guys that whole scene at the toilet is like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. it's unbelievable yeah. and I was like this is amazing <laughs> even later when he rolls down the hill and he like lands next to that dead body yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's a genre that my own personal opinion of observing cinema now I'm trying to like test what what I believe uh, is the shift and integrity uh, is part of that as well, which is younger generations have seen so much cinema that they know narrative. Mm-hmm. Like the problem with the creator wasn't the movie. It was that we already knew what the narrative was. Yeah. So you're just waiting for that narrative to arrive. Mm-hmm. And it pretty much arrives right on point. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and it ignores other aspects. Like it's an AI that can learn immediately. So yeah, it's not yeah. a kid anymore. Yeah. <laughs> True. Yeah. <laughs> but... But it's like, so, but I put on the good, the bad, and the ugly, and uh, my kids watched the first five minutes of that. Like, we were we were running somewhere, and I just wanted, like, you know, the kids are ready, and I was like, well, I'll put this on for a minute just to, to rewatch parts of it. And they sat down, and I'll watch it because they were like, what's happening? What's going on? Mm. And the fly flying around the guy's face is, like, so interesting to them. And, and I was like, I think they are actually really interested in observing what's occurring and learning what's occurring through observation as opposed to being told all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, I think this is something that hasn't fully been explored in this younger generation. Can I, can I do that? And so it's tricky because yeah, I would love to, there's, there's different genres I'd love to like really be able to dive into. And there's books that I'm trying to like, because the studios keep being like, we're not making original content anymore. Yeah. So it's like, okay, what books do I know? What what can I look at? But for me, it's all with like, what is the future of cinema going to be in mind? Yeah. And I, I think the place that I've come to is like, okay, if I don't ever get to make it to the mid-budget world, but I can end up making films that like matter 20 years from now, like mm-hmm. people still are interested in watching them, maybe I'm... Maybe that's the sweet spot. Like, I'll try for the mid-budget, but I don't want to compromise in the context of, like, a mid-budget just for the sake of a a mid-budget. And it's tough, right? Because there is the the whole, you know, I've been been trying 
lately, like in the past couple of years, to really wrap my head around the business side of it and what what people want to see. And that, that would never change anything that I want to do. But, but, but being aware of what it is that drives the decision making and like how and where's my place in that, right? And where's where can I like um, subvert that, you know, and, and like, you know, it's it's nothing that'll ever happen in my life, I'm sure, because there's I don't feel there's genuinely a world in which I'm making a 20 million dollar movie, but I want to be able to make. Make movies that. um that are just stories that we like to tell, and 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 if I get to make them using someone else's money, then that's great, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And so I I always wonder: is there a balance in, like, at what point do you say, like, like we were saying before, like, all right, if I make this movie, I can get a hundred thousand dollars to make this movie because it's a genre film, it's a horror film, or whatever. But I'm going to inject a lot of originality in it, and creativity in it, and 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 I feel like there's a there's a there's a built-in audience with the horror and maybe we get a B-level actor, but then we can get, we can really let our creativity kind of go nuts in, in a lot of it. And, um, and is that creatively satisfying for me, you know? And so I feel like, yeah. I feel like there's an interesting conversation to have there. And, and, you know, while I want to be just an unbridled artist, right. I want to make, I want someone to give me a million dollars to make whatever's in my head. And that's the end of it. It's not, yeah. maybe not a reality. And can I be creatively satisfied living in that lane? It's, it's, I, I don't know. I'm willing to, you know, I'm willing I don't to, know, to cut I the just, budget in half if it means that I have more creative control yeah. as a writer, you know, then, if it's yeah. like, we can give you a million dollars, but we're going to be up your ass the whole time yeah. about everything. You're not gonna be able to cast anybody. Like we learned that the hard way as we were talking to people. Uh, that that came on the show that were like, yeah, I didn't want that person, but that's who the producer said I had to have. And I'm like, that sucks. <laughs> you know, like you write yeah. a story, you're a writer, director even, and you have no say in who your your lead is. You know, it's just like, and then we watched well, like you... the, the latest project, Greenlight, already kind of like knowing that. And when she kept like fighting for that one actor, I was like, girl, just leave it. They're going to pick who they want because it's their money and it's better to just roll with it and get your foot in the door because that's, 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 it's kind of like they give you the, the illusion of choice, you know, and, and sure you're in control, but eh, we don't want that person. And that's always like, it really, you really have to ask yourself who you are when you, try and step into the world mm. of the business of it. Um, because, you know, if an actor is forced upon you, then you have to accept like, but I'm that type of person. Right. Otherwise you just walk away. Yeah. I mean, especially if you're a writer director at any moment, you just go, I'm out. I'm not interested. Yeah. And you can like, you know, take your ball take and go it. home. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and everyone will tell, and that will be what they'll say about you. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Um, and so you know that's that's the reality of of what will be, or you go like actually, I want to learn how to make a living at this, which is going to require so much compromise mm-hmm. that the compromising is going to be the game that I'm playing. Right. Like okay, it's it's not the actor that I want, but I research the crap out of the actor so I know what their potential is, mm-hmm. where they you know. I I don't know if you saw Reptile. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I my son, my my 16-year-old just started making mo- movies. Oh, and sweet. I went back I, so I went back to Reptile. I watched it one night. Went back and I was like, "Okay, here 
is how a director blocks a scene when he has an actor that cannot cry. And it's that scene, <laughs> <Justin> Timberlake, right? <laughs> and it's like, he does a wide from behind, and then he has Justin Timberlake walk towards the window and then reverses to the other side with a really nice composition. You're like, this is brilliant. I was like, son, I want you to see this because this is a director who is doing the best he can with what he has access to. And what he does have access to is Benicio Del Toro. And he's going <laughs> to lean on that yeah. as much as he can and leave the other stuff that probably helped the movie get made and leave it there, you know? And I'm like, that's a different game. Yeah. And it can be interesting because you can, if you, if you set your focus on, okay, it's not about telling the most creative story ever. I'm not going to make an everywhere all at once because I don't have that access. But I am going to be like, how do I maximize the the things I have access to? Mm-hmm. You can shift it and it's not so deadening. I yeah. think what ends up being deadening for directors or what leaves them really angry is they fixated on the one, like, I want to tell this story this way yeah. only. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. it's not like, oh, I thought I had uh, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio, and now I have Chris Evans. And you're like, not the same range of actor. Yeah. Like, not even close. So what would you do with the Chris Evans? It's like, yeah. you've got to... Well, like... take your shirt off. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're like, okay, he can be really charming. Yeah. Like, he's he's got charming down. That That's an asset to Chris Evans. And maybe it's a killer, it's a, a serial killer movie, and you're like, crap, I've got to go, for like use his charm now yeah. and you yeah. have to reinvent the way the movie was going to be told whereas if you're dealing with a DiCaprio you would be like now there's five layers there's going to be the mask yeah. that he presents himself and then I want to see the gears internally that are working on and and so that when he's saying something the audience realizes he's saying something else mm. and that's that's the scene I'll show sometimes Daniel Day-Lewis and There Will Be Blood when Paul Dano comes in and tells him yep. what he's going to say mm-hmm. at the well. Mm-hmm. And and again, if you watch that just blindly and you're not paying attention, he's like, okay, yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. And the whole time in his mind, you just see the go F yourself. Right. I hate your guts. If I yeah. could kill you right now, I would. So then he goes out and takes the little girl's hand and says everything he says. And you're like... That's because you have Daniel Day Lewis, or even in like Reptile, you have... when you when uh, with uh, De- Del Toro, like uh, you know, we we talked about that film, and it's like I, I only laughed that hard because you... we we went into this whole. F- yeah. I, I'm a huge Del Toro fan, and I love that man. As soon as I saw Justin Timberlake, when I saw the poster, I was like, "Fuck off!" Like, <laughs> what? How does this happen? And then my internally, I went. I would love to have been like in Del Toro's head when they were like, so your scene partner is going to be Justin Timberlake. And he was like, really? But then he was like, he was a producer in it and stuff. So I was like, I would love to be a fly in the room to see how the hell this came to be, because I don't understand how this guy still gets cast and thinks like he has no rage at all. Yeah. And a first time director. I mean, I listened. He's on the Deacons podcast talking about it. Oh, yeah. Oh, really? And thank it's kind of neat to listen to because you're like, oh, Del Toro is very gracious as as an actor. He could have been he could have just chose to be a problem. Yeah. I've been like, this director doesn't know what he's doing and this is going to be a shit show. Um, 
and he, uh, my interpretation was he did the opposite, leaned in, which is why he probably has a producing. And I think he had a little bit of a writing. Yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah. And I was like, I think he went. He was probably like, and, this isn't going to work. <laughs> and with his with his kind of authority. Yeah. As well, which is really interesting. I, I once read uh, this book that was about first time directors. It was about their first films. And I can't remember. I, I don't know if it's the director of Five Easy Pieces. I can't remember who it was. But he was talking about doing this movie with Jack Nicholson. And they didn't have the budget for like some things. So he's like, look, I don't need a trailer. And so I'll, just don't give me a trailer. And and the director was like, I didn't realize by me saying I that I was okay not having a trailer that to the producers it meant you could take advantage of me. Mm. And so he's like, I ended up getting manhandled throughout the project until Jack Nicholson was like, went to the producers and was like, cut it out. Wow. Like, cut out what you're doing. Like, wow. stop it immediately. And he said it was because of Jack Nicholson he was able to re- regain control of the movie because he just wasn't an aggressive director yeah. in that way. And I... This is tangent on reptile, but I, I it felt that Benicio <laughs> did the same thing. Yeah, that mm-hmm. he was like, I'm gonna protect the director. I'm gonna like make sure he doesn't get screwed over. And as a result, it's a pretty decent movie. Yeah, you know. Yeah. As a result of it, I mean, it's a genre. You know, kind of what's gonna happen. Yeah, all yeah time. for sure. And so there's that aspect. And I, it would be interesting to talk to Del Toro just to find out like. The the things that were new, was that the director that added those new twists? Oh, or yeah. was it you being like, I know this genre actually really well. Let's try some different things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to have him on next week. So we'll <laughs> yeah, yeah, ask him. Yeah. I'm, I'm working. But he's another one. Like, he's going to be my scene partner. Film, and like, every time you have this close-up of his eyes. It's so intense. I know exactly what he's thinking. Yeah. I know 100%. what he's portraying and what he's thinking. He's and those are could be Saying one thing and doing be, another, yeah. It was so good. It was so good. But... um. Uh, we did that with them also. Um, we had Colin Shifley on, on the show uh, who, you know, and and uh, we had watched a film with um, with Des Malchin. Oh, yeah. Like way early on. And like you were saying before, I was like, this guy has something. This actor has something. And he wasn't really known at all yet. And I was just like, you know, he has like a very unique face, but it was just his acting. I was just like, I really I feel like this guy's to make it. Then he was just like everywhere. And then he was in D.C. And we were like rooting for someone we've never met in our lives. But as an actor myself, I was so excited for him because I was like, that's so awesome. You know, like you just get someone who like wiggles you in and you get the opportunity to do something. And that can take you to so many other places. Yeah. Yeah. You hope for that optimism. Same. I mean, I have been on the festival circuit for 10 years now. And it's like when I'm watching shorts. From directors, it's the same thing. I'm like, oh, you're really good. I hope this results in a career because yeah. this is a really great story that you told in the way that you told it. Yeah. Um, so we just, even though we don't necessarily know them, it's just rooting for great, yeah. great people because there's such a plethora of bad cinema. Oh, yeah. And and the bad cinema is normally used as the reference, right? Always, you know? yeah. Always, yeah. yeah. It's like... They're like genres are there and you're like, oh, but I want to tweak it. And they're like, yeah, but it's better if you keep it this way. And you're like, no, there's there's like 70 horrible versions of that movie. And it's like and you have one that you're referencing. And I got the reference. But (laughs) normally, even in those genre films, they, they did something different. Yeah, like yeah. we recently watched "Talk to Me," which is very genre. I horror. haven't seen it yet. Yeah, we're gonna. We're but gonna... it's like they did it differently in a way that, like, 
to the point, like some of it even is like, there's not a lot of jump scares in that movie. But what they do is like they, when things are scary, they hold longer than you want them to. Mm. So you, they don't give you the relief you want. Yeah. Right. So you're just sitting there screaming, scared. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, and they're and like, please. The, yeah. You know, my son was like, at some point you had your hat and your glasses off. I was like, I just didn't want to even <laughs> see it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like that breathed new life into like what is a very kind of genre driven piece. Yeah. So we'll root. It took me a long time to watch that movie because I'd heard it was like a, they had eight to four had signed on this YouTuber, never made a movie. And yeah. Was like, Let's yeah. Make and I was like, oh, good for them. But yeah. I was to I'm totally the same. And I have several people ask me, like, have you seen it yet? I'm like, no, I will. <laughs> like, it's just yeah. I will. It's fine. I'll watch it. I'll, watch I'll it. begrudgingly <laughs> watch this. But, yeah. um, you know, like I, I on the horror aspects, like. What I would love if if someone said, "Hey, okay, you could write horror." I would want to write something like Tucker and Dale, like yeah. that. To me, like I still watch that movie. I'm like, this was fucking genius. And of course, I mean, you have two the, the, them together. Were was it was amazing. The casting yeah. was amazing on that. Yeah. But I mean, you know, it's like, look, you've got the blood, you've got the gore, you've got all that, but you have this amazing chemistry and comedy, and it's not like. It's not intentionally comical. It's played comically. I mean, of course, you have the, yeah. the outrageousness of how they die, which is intentionally comical. But it's just the way that, you know, a line is delivered that you're like, that may not have even meant to have been funny. But it was just yeah. the way that they delivered well, that was brilliant. That's a perfect example of like a great comedy where there's no wink to the camera, right? They're playing yeah. this. They're play they're playing it straight as those characters, and right. those characters just happen to be ridiculous. Yeah, and yeah. that's that's yeah. what I love about. You're it. a good looking guy, more or less. <laughs> <laughs> and I love yeah. the thing. I love that film is that they they took that film and then they made a 20 minute version, which is just from the kids' perspective, was yeah. which is an actual horror film. Oh, that's amazing. That's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> I wish they did more stuff like that, yeah. you know. But it's like I don't know. Um, yeah, it always is about, you know, what's interesting about filmmaking in general is that there's this massive dichotomy of like independent to, you know, billion dollar movies. And so yeah. it's like they don't they really and it's when I say most most people when I'm in meetings over don't necessarily know what they're talking about. I don't mean it in like the negative context. It's just the uncertainty of like why something does well or doesn't yeah. do well is really unknown now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because years ago they uh, they had I read this article. They had built this algorithm. It was a um, they could feed songs into it, and then it would the computer would tell whether the song was going to be a hit or not. Mm -hmm. um, and they had done it with the first Maroon Five album. And after <laughs> after the maroon, it was just one of their te test tests that they did mm -hmm. in the article. And every song that it said was going to be a hit on a Maroon Five song or on that album had been a hit. Mm -hmm. And then the other ones that it said wasn't had not been. <clears throat> and so what was really interesting it was the algorithm couldn't predict that the song was going to actually end up going to be a hit. But it it was 100% correct if it said it was not going to be. Right. Oh, right. So there was this like very, there were other variables outside of the computer's control, which is us as viewers, whether mm -hmm. something went viral or, or something right. took off. 
but they could like feed that through there. And I feel like that is necessary how the industry is functioning right now. They're like very uncertain. Like I've talked about doing a, a horror genre type film in a couple meetings and the response has been like, oh, that'd be really interesting. We'd love to see what you would do in that genre. Just don't do Michael Haneke because his films don't make money. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and I was like, dang, why is everyone picking on Michael Haneke? Like, those are brilliant movies, you know? But it was like, that's an interesting, like, like context. So yeah. I think they're like, uncertain of how a thing can go on to be yeah. the well, big. That was the whole war yeah. over AI with the writers and now the actors is you can feed all of these successful films <clears> and, <throat> and their screenplays to an AI and have it kind of replicate a lot of uh, aspects of the script that for whatever reason is successful or, you know, that are comfortable to audiences or whatever. And so I think, you know, brilliant. I'm, I, I don't know the, obviously the 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 details of the the new um contract but i feel like that is not an issue as of right now but i feel like the studios are just kind of chomping at the bit for that because it's they want to invest a hundred million dollars and make 500 million in something you know to them uh, investing like actually investing a million dollars into something that makes 10 million dollars is great but investing a hundred million dollars into something that makes 500 million dollars is obviously much more appealing so it's yeah the dialogue about ai that will be interesting is not necessarily coming from the studios i'm glad the wga fought against that the question will be how many writers yeah, feed well, their ideas into a chat gpt yeah. type thing that kick out mm -hmm. a 90 page script and then they just go in and tweak that yeah script. yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That, <laughs> when, when that dialogue was going on i was a little more like how many of these writers are going to i mean i work in academia and letters of recommendation like any academic paperwork i try and use ChatGPT because i'm like I, it's actually a waste of my time to do that um i think what what uh ai will never be able to do though is really have a pulse on what's happening like no get out if Get Out came out 10 years ago, probably would have bombed. Mm. But it came out at the height of, like, this social dialogue, right. mm -hmm. you know, especially in the, within the black community and dealing with, like, the liberals who are, who are very much like, I'm not racist, but having racist dialogue. Sure, sure, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And conservatives uh, being, like, racist but not necessarily racist but racist people interpreting their dialogue as racist right right, right. there was this like headbutting that was happening amongst white people mm -hmm. and like blacks were being kind of left out of the dialogue right. <laughs> they're happily having it and then he writes this movie that's like very much like on the pulse of that yeah and so it, it blows up because it's like exactly what's you can go in like either side political party that you're on, you can go in that movie and feel justified. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You yeah. know, and, and it's really, that's so very, very smart. I don't think AI will, can ever like, no, no, no. will ever hit the pulse of things. No. And, so, and, I, and I think, um, you know, just quickly on AI, I don't think, I don't think it's as far along as people portray it to be, you know, it's just a fancy algorithm that takes, information and then replicates it in some way and it's not like going to take over the world in 10 years or well, whatever maybe that, 50 but not funny 10. story <laughs> uh, a friend of ours um had sent me 
just like randomly was like, hey, I, I can I send you a story idea? And I was like, sure, like send it over. And I'm reading this whole thing. And I was just like, yeah, I was like, it's, you know, he's not a writer. So it's just like, I mean, it's, you know, he's like, what do you think of this? And I was just like, yeah, I mean, I was like, I, I know where it's going. It's familiar. I've seen this before, you know, it, it, this, this and that. There was nothing special about it, but it was definitely something that was like, yeah, I could see that. And he's like, yeah, I, I typed this into AI and this is what it came up with. And I was like, this is exactly my point it was like, did it do its job yet? Yeah, it created a story, but it didn't create anything unique yeah. because it can't, yeah. you know, it's not going to yeah. be able to go into in depth into thing and, and go into a creative mind and go like, well, what if I did this or what if I did this? But there is, you can have a writer that will take that, tweak it. And what's, you know, what's funny to your point though, is that if AI did do that, if it could eventually arrive where it had a good idea mm. that subverted what was standard, it would get rejected by the studios as well. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, what is this garbage? Yeah. <laughs> they would throw it out. They're yeah. like, what? A unique approach on this? No. You didn't spell yeah. the entire ending out? What are you talking yeah, about? Yeah. Because yeah. at the end of the day, it's human error. You know, human decisions will make sure. the, the end kind of decision make unless – you know, which is what Elon Musk kind of argued. Actually, AI could replace the CEOs of corporations more easier than it could ever yeah. replace the creative writers of that. Mm -hmm. So it would be very interesting if we were actually, as writers, we were feeding our scripts to getting the rejected by AI. AI. <laughs> it's like this thing's got a shot. I mean, you took this really interesting, like you subverted yeah. uh, this idea. That's that's actually really new. There's only like. 17,000 movies like that opposed to this other idea where there's 20 million. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if you guys have seen Past Lives at all. Past Lives. But the thing that I've said about Past Lives because it's a it's a you know, it's a film where a past lover comes back and you're worried there's a there'll be there might be an affair. They wrote that movie exactly how you want to experience that movie. So there's not the person lying to the other person okay. and like going behind their back and having a dinner with this old lover. It's like she tells her husband immediately. Mm. And so you just get to experience the whole movie. And I loved the film and I was like, it's weird that this is new. Like the, right, the reflection right. sure. thing is not, there's no lie right. in this, like in this, story which is normally the trope of of a romance yeah. type film is that there's a lie somewhere and yeah it's like no they subverted it by so simply yeah um, so um before we let you go is there so you, you're working on a short now yeah i just finished a short that i uh did with lauren cohen called um i can't be sorry which is based off of my my oldest sister um and so I, I finished that short with her and I submitted it. We'll see. The festivals are so competitive, as you both know. Yeah. So we'll see uh, if that gets out in the world. And then I'm writing another one for a friend of mine who's an actor. We've been wanting to work together. And I was like, well, let me write this to uh, to try and step into this kind of comic. Mm -hmm. Oh, like, cool. Can I write? Can this be a comedy? Um, and while all this is while trying to get a feature, like, Trying to figure out how how to work with studios, because right. that's when you're trying to find sustainability as it relates to like making a living and make movies. Yeah. <laughs> it's like 
you have to eventually engage the studios unless you're somebody, you know. Was that like, difficult when you when you did kill the killing of two lovers and with I mean you already had that one so when Joseph Chambers came I'm assuming you you know you were able to bring that along with you but was that a difficult process? The budgeting. Yeah, when when you know you were the doing killing, it, I guess, yeah, yeah, pitching killing of two lovers like was that difficult? Yeah, killing two lovers. I I ran the benefit of Clay being on a TV show and so he had mm. some disposable income that he was willing to put into the film. It's rare that an actor is going to invest in a movie. No one recommends that for an actor. That being said, it was 25 grand. So it's not, it wasn't, it's a lot of money, but it's not a lot of money for, it's, right, you know, right. it can yeah. be taxed It's a lot of money for, for us, but people. not for a film, yeah. Right. Yeah, for a film, it's almost nothing. Yeah. So it was working within that constraints. The risk was- Wait, we the whole to... film was 25,000? So we, our onset budget was, 32,000 total. He brought in 25 and then Odin, the other producer, brought in some money. Holy shit. Uh, <laughs> and then what ended up, we shot the film and then we didn't have post-production funds. And it was tricky. I was okay doing that because I've done sound. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, the sound won't be as professional as we eventually got but I know how to hit the sound levels mm -hmm. and we might be able to pull the money, you know, as I could be close to five grand in mix, we could probably pull that if I did all the sound work. And then I was able, to, after we had the film uh, finished, then I was able to bring in um, this company, Soro, and they put in the post-production money, which was 30 grand about, uh, and I just worked a deal with P Peter, that's not his rate at all. Mm -hmm. um, but I did a lot of work to try and communicate better with him. So to to respect his time, I right. guess is what I would say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it was radical enough for him, too, that he was excited. Right. So in total, it was about 65000 That's amazing, though. Um, yeah, which, re I mean, it was destined to fail in the sense of <laughs> we had 12, we have tw we had 12 production days. Oscar was, uh, you know, a student who was like doing his finals because we were shooting during the finals week. And so he was going back and forth taking finals while we were making a film. And no one else on set had ever made a movie as it related to my first AC, Nicole Hawkins, is a photographer. Wow. So she had never pulled focus. And Sarah Hornberger, also a photographer, was actually not even interested in filmmaking. I, she's just like a very organized person. So she did transpo and then also helped. Nicole had to go to a wedding at some point in the film. And so she left for the weekend to do a wedding. And then Sarah stepped in and was like the focus puller. I'm and then my sound guy, Drake Withers. Yeah. yeah. And Drake Withers, my sound guy, was a student as well, a photo student who's just like, that guy that can do anything. Mm -hmm. And so I gave him the sound gear uh, two weeks before we started shooting. I was like, can you like learn how to use this? And he was like, yeah, definitely. So he learned how to use it. And then he was like our sound guy slash gaffer. <laughs> now I have to rewatch that yeah. because like, so, so you're telling me that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't accept this. Um, because like, what like that that film to me was just it was a, a fantastic example of an independent film like it's, it was just a great film and so you're telling me that that did not get received well 
That what? That killing of two lovers when you said was destined to fail? No, no, no. I'm saying 12 days and no one who knows what they're doing. But like how? That's a recipe for failure. We've worked with people that did know what they were doing and it wasn't good. You know what I mean? Like, so like. I've worked with people who, I've worked with some people, not all, because some people who know who they're doing are really amazing. Yeah. But they know what they're doing. But I will say sometimes it's better, I would say in sound, for example, to have a sound person who doesn't necessarily know what they're doing but will be there for the 14 hours and committed. 100%. And communicative than it is to, like, have someone who you're paying a day rate to um, and who knows what they're doing, for sure. I mean, Nicole is – one of the things I knew about her, for example, is – she was, uh, it's the first time pulling focus, so she learned how to use the focus puller. <laughs> she, I just don't um, understand what magic well you drink from that you yeah. found these people. <laughs> they were just, it was a team of people that were like, we'll just do what you want. Holy crap. So there wasn't, and I was like, I don't have a, a enough time to argue with anyone, you know. So, like with Nicole, I just sat next to her and tapped her shoulder when I needed her to go from one subject to the other subject. You know, I was like, when I, when I, I would have never in a million years guessed any of that. I would have been like, well, this was completely well thought out. Everybody was in place. (laughs) Like (laughs) perfect. No, I I wish that was the case. Smoke and mirrors. But Oscar and I were, and, and he'll probably tell you when you interview, when you talk with him, I mean, we just had to be very deliberate and then commit to the, commit Mm. to it. It's like if we were going to do this in a one take, we got to commit that it's a one take. Right. We cannot uh, allow any room where someone says, where an actor's like, let's just get it at a different angle and get the coverage. And it's like, we're just not gonna. Right. There were, there were a couple areas where we got kind of safety stuff um, because we weren't, I knew what we were going to do. So, for example, like when he gets hit. Mm-hmm. I was like, it's going to be more interesting if we hear what happens to him as opposed to see what happens to him, you know. And so we shot on the other side where you see David dragging his body to the car mm-hmm. to pull himself up. But I'm like, that's actually really less interesting than listening to the gravel, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. as he slowly drags it because it's worse right. visually. It's going to be worse for all of us than the actual reality of that. So we shot the other side, but I, I knew we wouldn't use it. There mm-hmm. were a couple things here and there that we, like, did just to be safe. But most of the time we were, like, we're like the argument, there is nothing but that. Oscar's on a go- – and I are on a golf cart, and I'm driving it in and out, and he's – and I'm kind of whispering, follow this person, follow that person, and then now we're going to be in a two-shot while we're driving. Uh, and the worst thing about that scene was that um, one of the tires had blown out because it was so cold. And then Fun. our liaison, the guy that was there, had fixed it. But as a result, it had a squeak. So <sighs> as I would pull, it'd be like, <laughs> <laughs> and like I had like one of the takes. I had to be like, I know you guys are going to hear this, but we like trust me. Like we need the dolly. Yeah. Like to just do this on a wide. Uh, only isn't going to work because there's so much nuance. Like I need to be in the two shot when he lets his guard down and then you hear, are we okay out there? And then I need to be able to pull back. 
And so they, thankfully, they were okay with it. But I, I, it was like, it's like opening a bag of chips in the middle of the <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Quiet, you know, it's like, oh no. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it was very, uh, very tight, and it required a lot of being very deliberate. I had read some. And integrity wasn't, integrity wasn't that much different. I How mean, long was that shoot? We had 18 days on oh, that 18. shoot. And I was able to bring Oscar and a couple gaffers that he knew. Mm. So we had, and and Luis Puente was the first AC. He was an amazing writer, director, and but does first AC. And we were shooting on the LF, and there were no, we didn't have time for markers. So thankfully I had him because he could really know where where Klain was at the time. But if you read that, if you read the script, you would be like, you, and then you watch the movie, you'd be like, oh, they didn't. We some of the time we were like the baseball scene. It's like, where are we shooting that? And we're walking around these woods being like, okay, here, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it's just as later, good as place just, as any. Yeah. I mean, I'm like, I with it. It's why with this new film, I'm like, I just want to, I want to know what prep days are like, right. <laughs> you know, like I want to know what like real location scouting where you get to be like, no, this doesn't work. Let's find somewhere else. Yeah. yeah. That like that happens. Yeah. 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 We you always know. attempt that. Yeah. Um. And so we'll go. We'll scout, and then we'll do like one day where he goes to measure everything because he likes to do like uh, uh um. Uh, so I'll I'll t- I have an app that will like because I have a background in three D and stuff. So I'll scan the whole environment and then build that environment so I know what if what if I place the camera here what's my field of you know like and I can sit oh, yeah, and do yeah. that I don't have That's to be cool. on the location to do that yeah so we usually do yeah. that but even though we do that there's always a surprise as the day of which with yeah. on our last film was that it started raining which wasn't the issue the issue was that the vent over the stove had a tick tick yeah there was because the water yeah. kept hitting and I was like are you fucking uh, kidding me <laughs> And there was just no way around it. It was just like, well, that's now we're going to have to pay somebody to try to get rid of that without making everything tinny. And it's just like, yeah. it's a disaster. It's always something. But um, well, with the rocket sequence in, in killing, I had asked for a whole day because I was like, there are, you know, four that was kids. that really wide shot. Yeah, right. Yeah. 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 And it had snowed that morning. Oh. So oh. we weren't planning to shoot it because it had snowed all day. But we, but the guy who had the rockets was still coming out, and I was like, "We're just gonna have to tell him to see if he'll come another day." Um, and then the snow. So we were shooting other stuff. The snow melted, and they were like, "No, let's shoot it." And this is it's probably one thirty, uh, and the sun goes down at around three thirty four, and so and Oscar's taking a final. So we like Ugh. set the scene up. And we don't have a dolly. The golf cart, the tire's flat, so we can't be... So I have to back my van up, open up the back doors, and I'm, like, telling the... Dri- I'm uh, One of the guys that we had, I was like, hey, you're going to have to drive backwards, and then you're going to have to drive forward, <laughs> and wow. I'll have to, like, cue you in the, in the rearview mirror, and I was going to have to shoot it. And then five minutes before we start shooting Oscar rolls up on set. So he hops in the van to man the camera so I can at least man the, so the driver can yeah. see me being like when to pull forward, when to back up, so forth. We got one take and she and Avery breaks the, the rocket stand oh. and we don't have another one. Oh. So we try and mangle it together 
and then we shoot a second take, and then it's like the light's gone, and the and the rocket thing is broken. So we have like the the one you see is the first take. Wow. With wow. zero rehearsal. Wow. So it's just me giving direction to the actors, telling them what I'm looking for, blocking. I didn't block it via camera, but what I wanted to do beats wise, and then we just went, and Jesus it was like Christ. Thankfully, we got it because there was no. Clayne, four days after we finished, we wrapped that film, went and did some Hulu horror film, and they made him shave completely. So it was like... So that, yeah. Uh, <laughs> there you there go. There was no pickups. There was like zero chance of getting a pickup. Wow. Uh, well. Even more impressive. Yeah. It's annoyingly impressive. So, uh, I, have a, I have a... Just a, <laughs> one quick... We'll, we will let you go, I promise. But it's one... Um, I had... Uh, so... I ran into a producer at a film fest a year or so ago, and we were we were just chatting, nice guy and everything. But you know, we were, he had a he had a feature there, and it looked really nice. And we didn't see it, but you know, cinematography looked really nice. Um, and he, we had an interesting conversation about how budgets work and stuff. And so he was because I'm curious because Two Lovers was made for such a cheap budget. Was that actually a hindrance to you? Because I feel like. Based on what he was saying, a lot of times, if a studio thinks, if a studio knows that you made a, let's say your film's great, and you're you're using that as kind of like, look, I can make good stuff, um, but it's like it only costs thirty two thousand. Why are we going to give you a million dollars now? Like you don't know what you're doing with that. Have you had any kind of experience with? Because he was actually trying to inflate the budget, yeah, to make it seem like, oh, we made this for a million, so then our next film maybe we can get two million or whatever. And I, I don't know if. If you had any experience with that, because, mm. you know, all of our films are like six. Yeah, I think the most we ever spent was like 10 grand, no. you know, for us to go to six, six grand yeah. for, for us yeah. to go to a studio and be like, give us a hundred thousand dollars. We're going to be like, you wouldn't know what to do with it. You know, whereas like we could make 50 films for a hundred, you know, <laughs> it's like, so I don't know, like, have you had any experience with budgeting and trying to like have to work around that? Is there or truth it work to that? For guess, you? Yeah. yeah, there is. There yeah. is definitely truth that if you made a movie for $5 million that looks like it was made for $5 million, it went to Sundance, that would make the studios comfortable with giving you $30 million, for right. sure. Like, they, being like, oh, I had a crew of students that didn't really know what they're doing, that's not necessarily exciting to them because they're like, well, what what happens when you have a gaffer that has strong opinions? Right. Because part of your job is managing yeah. the departments. And they want to know that you can manage those departments. Um, the money uh, itself is not necessarily like they don't want to give you a million dollars. It's a because that stuff is like it's paying people. Killing Your Two Lovers would have been a million dollars easy had we paid everybody. Right. Mm. Right. And it's like, but everyone twelve days you can ask people to do things for free when when it's that little. Um, so the bigger you go on budgets, it's it's managerial is what they don't know that you can do or not. Right. And so if you can inflate the budget to three, four million dollars and the director can make a really great movie with that amount of money, it's just the confidence. They know what it is to deal with costume. They know what it is to deal with all that stuff. And so that's kind of what the producer is talking about. Yeah, I've run into that. Um a little bit. I think if Clayne really wanted everyone to know for how little we made the money for, movie for, so he often in interviews was telling people we made it for thirty grand when really we didn't. We you know we made it for about sixty five, mm. and then I mean the cost of 
flying the actors out to Sundance was like more than the onset. <laughs> budget, you know? So really it was under a hundred thousand dollars if you count that as well. Cause we had to pay, pay for all that stuff also. Um, everyone else in the industry would have told me to be like, it was less than a million. That's mm-hmm. what they would have. Like when people say, what are the budgets? Just say less than a million. Cause like beginning directors, they'll give a million dollars to, and if they do a good job with a million dollars, they could give you $30 million after that because they're like, um, oh, yeah, you managed a production mm-hmm. for a million dollars. A million dollars is still a lot of money to give a first-time person a shot at. Um, so, I mean, I'm I, currently Plain's accepting million to, dollars. Yeah. <laughs> Plain's point was to encourage people to be you know open to making films and like he really had this whole like i just want people to know they can get it made yeah they can do it you know and i appreciate that perspective but it doesn't help right had we been like it was close to a million dollars we probably could have got a million dollars for integrity Mm. you know but it was like oh yeah you made money like so what ends up happening is studios not all of them i mean they'll they can believe in you in general, but you run into like, if you don't know people or people can't vouch for you, there's nervousness about you because mm-hmm. you didn't make the money. If you have private investors and private investors are going to finance your movie, they went, wait, you made that for, uh, you know, $65,000. Let's make another one for $65,000. Right. Because like, the least amount of money they can invest is what they're looking for because sure. it lowers the risk. Right. right, right. And so you're to turn around and be like, hey, position. I made this movie for $65,000. Uh, I want to make this next movie for a half a million dollars. They're like, what? Why? Yeah. You know, and yeah. so it doesn't help in the private investors because private investors are happy to have a whole crew work for free. Oh, right. yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And when you try and write in the contract, hey, let's defer fees. Like if the film makes money, first money out is paying the crew for being on set. They're like, what? No, that's not how business works. Right. Business works. First money out is the investors because we put real physical money in. Yeah. And it's like this whole game. So I, as much as I appreciate private investors, you're dealing with business people. Mm-hmm. So. You can't defer fees. You have to put as much money up front as you possibly can. You have to make sure your crew gets paid. So as a result, if the risk comes and the movie doesn't make its money, it falls on the investors who put their money in. Mm. And your crew gets paid. And it's like, so that's where you end up in a million to to $3 million budgets. It's like you're actually really just paying your locations, paying your crew, paying for catering, housing. It's like... You're doing what you should be doing. Yeah. Right. It's so crazy because it's like, um, you know, I mean, we all know this, but, you know, discovering like the difference between a $6 million movie or a $6,000 movie and a $30,000 movie isn't anything that you're going to see on screen. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so that's, to me, it's always been, I, I, I obviously would never not pay somebody. We always, we take a lot of pride in the fact that we want to pay everybody and all that stuff. But yeah. it's like, it's, that's always kind of the frustrating part in the back of my head. It's like, yeah, this, this, this budget is ballooning, but I'm not getting anything. Um, it does, it does, it's not accounting for renting an Ari or some nice lenses or, you know, more lights or yeah. whatever. It's just yeah. so this person can eat, you know, <laughs> which is obviously just as important as a camera. Like, you know, yeah, sure. you know, I joke, but it is as important. But it's like there is that part of you, like God, I wish I could just, 
use it on something that is going to immediately yeah. aid in the aesthetic of the film, you know? Yeah, 100%. I mean, it really... I called a friend of mine. She had done a movie for four. I had heard the movie was a $4 million budget. And I called her and was like, okay, hey, what's the difference between a a million dollar budget and a $4 million budget? And she was like, nothing. Mm. Yeah. More crew. Yeah. So that you can work faster. That's it. And yep. she's like, none of it. I thought it would end up on screen and none of it did. I thought it would get us locations. It didn't. I thought, I thought it'd be easier to license music and it did not, you know? Yeah. Um, so it really isn't until you get, you know, up into, I'm assuming $30 million where you can be like, Hey, I want this beach boy song. And they're like, well, it's going to be a hundred thousand dollars to get it. And they're like, that's okay. We'll pay the hundred thousand yeah, dollars. So yeah. You can have 30 seconds of the beach boys while they're driving in the car, you know? Yeah. Um, that is where I assume that money ends up going. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, uh, it's, but yeah, it's quite lower than that. I, I think, I mean, for me, I know how to shoot my own stuff. I know how to edit my own stuff. I know how to do the sound design on my own stuff. Um, and so I, I try, if I'm going to do something small, I try and keep it, the crew small as mm -hmm. well. Yeah. And, and realize that a lot's going to rely on me. That's where that struggle that I have in that million and below area is. Because I'm like, I'm going to edit, I'm going to do the sound, I'm going to do the cinematography, and still the investors are going to try and shortchange. Because mm -hmm. they're not going to want to look and be like, okay, so we're paying you of half a million dollars, we're paying you $200,000? That doesn't make sense. And you're like, no, but I'm I, doing I it, directed it, I'm doing the cinematography, and yeah. I'm editing it. Yeah, All of those positions would be three over $400,000 if... We actually, if we parsed them out, and yeah. sometimes the investors would be more comfortable if you paid an editor a hundred thousand right. dollars than yeah. if you paid yourself a hundred thousand dollars, because they're like, no, we're paying the editor. And yeah. I'm just yeah. Like, you're like, you're what? actually ripping me off and I want some. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We've encountered yeah. that. Like we've gone to film festivals and yeah. it's like, that's our thing. Like we couldn't make films if we didn't do everything ourselves because we don't have enough connections up here. And and also, you know, it's like you talk to a sound person here and like their date. The, the one guy that we worked with once was like, we loved him. We finally got like a real sound person. We were great. And then when we reached out again, he was like, my rates have gone up. And I was like, yeah. all right, by how much? And it was like almost $200 more a day. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, I was like, yeah. well, well, we don't have, you know, $800 a day like to pay you. Like this, the whole shoot was supposed to be three grand. Like, I don't know what to do here. And so, you know, Paul is usually our director. I mean, we co-direct together, but I write it. And I always say like, I can't wait to be a supporting actor in one of my own movies. I don't want to be the lead, but I don't have to pay me. So I give myself the lead, you know, but I would love to be a supporting actor. Um, and he does all of our editing. And we've also wondered like what our films would look like if we handed it off to someone else. Yeah. Cause we're so used to having all of that control and like, what yeah. would, what we made look like to somebody else and in, in their perspective. But, you know, he's done our grading. I mean, just in this last film, we, we, we had somebody actually professionally grade it. Um, but, you know, usually he's the one doing that. And we didn't have a wedding because we bought film equipment like that was just more important. We don't have wedding rings. Yeah. I don't have an engagement ring. I was like, we could have lenses. Who gives a shit about all of that? <laughs> like, just, <laughs> yeah. you know, we just bought what we had and don't go on vacation. We don't do anything. And when we make a film, it's that is our vacation. That is our vacation. <laughs> I mean, you know, with yeah. the exception of like, OK, we may on this last shoot, we rented a second red just in case something went wrong black with ours magic. i'm sorry yeah the red yeah we don't have a red the black magic we 
rented our exact camera just in case because ours had been wiggy in the past and we we're like, oh my God. And it didn't cost that much to really get it. And we rented some cook lenses. Like that's where the money's going. But everything else is just like, we're doing everything. And that's usually why in post, I'm like, hate that, hate that, hate that. Because I was co-directing with him. I was worrying about this one's wardrobe. I didn't pay attention to how I was playing out this character and I gave a shit performance and now I'm mad, you know? Uh, yeah. And so it's like wearing all those hats is 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 really tough. And I guess we've always thought like, oh, that would be great because they would be like, you could do so many things. You make a whole movie by yourself. But yeah. now hearing, you know, they may be like, well, <laughs> but you're not real, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's a matter of like, they, yeah, they just want to know you can manage and and manage people, yeah. which is tricky because access also brings on your ability to bring in different people, you know, yeah, like the sound guy that's local that you're talking about. It's like, if you have a budget, you're like, I wouldn't actually hire that guy because he's not, he doesn't have great energy on set. I'd hire this other guy that's $500 more a day, but right. actually... Like it's very positive. Like with on this last short, we had to hire I the sound guy I wanted was on another project, so we just hired a local guy that had been recommended, mm. um, and it was not great. Ah. I was like, oh man, I could have brought somebody. Yeah. I could have mm -hmm. just brought somebody, but I had a great set of actors, and I just didn't want. I was like, oh, I don't want to be in an environment where the actor is watching me tell the sound person how to, like, set yeah. up these logs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. You know? <laughs> and so, I, I, and it was like, you deal with, the risk is there's a lot of garbage yeah. out there. Um, and they have careers, even though yeah. the majority of what they do is not great. Um, yeah. So it's this weird trick because it's like, you, they want to know you can manage people. Um at the same time, when you can get to a level, you can get really, really, really great people. Going back to what we were talking about earlier with Cole, Cole's 15 years of shooting commercials. And, like, this is the first feature that he's doing. Like, the people he had on set were amazing. Because mm -hmm. he'd been shooting with them for 15 years. So yeah. Yeah. all of his people were, like, so great. And the energy was so great. And I was like, this is cool that you were able to, like, bring these people on. Because yeah. if he had just, because if he had only hired local, some people it's just a job to them, so yeah. they're just doing. Yeah, their and job. I they're not bad people; they're just yeah. doing their job. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's okay. Like for us, the vibe is more important than any, any talent. Like if I have yeah. two two sound people or actors or whatever, and one person is maybe not as experienced, but it's just eager and like nice and like you know whatever, I'll pick that person every time, every time. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that's that's pretty. I, I've heard that consensus actually a lot, even in Hollywood. That directors and cinematographer Deacons has said it multiple times. He'd rather have an inexperienced crew that are good people than a very experienced crew of like very rude individuals. Yeah. Or like I'm that like, that that little that subcategory of people that don't actually have as much experience as they think they do, but they swear they have the attitude <laughs> for it, uh, yeah. which we experienced. I think a week before our shoot, uh, I I. I, we fired the focus puller because he was being really condescending to Paul via text. And I was just like, you know what? First of all, you're like 21, if yeah. even that. Like, I'm old enough to be your mom. So I was like, I'm not dealing with your pissant yeah. attitude have, on my set. And I'm paying you. So, like, we're not doing this. You know, it's just like, yeah. I'd rather 
I'd rather him have to pull focus, which is puts more work on him. It's hard because he's manning the camera, but then to deal with an attitude, like I just don't want to deal with your attitude. Yeah. And I think oh, it's totally. important. I mean, you, you can speak to this probably even more than us, but I think it's so important that like there, there comes a level where you just can't do everything. Like it's just not sustainable, but I feel like coming up in a, in a environment where you have had to do everything allows you to the the knowledge to kind of speak the language you can talk to like you you can talk to a sound person and know what you're talking about about what you need that person to do and so for us it's the same thing like we bring on a focus puller or a sound person or a set designer or whatever i've done all of these things to obviously much less success but i know enough about it to communicate what it is that they can do more so they can do their job more efficiently and i'm not just like what's that thing you have that does the thing and with the you know (laughs) that sort of thing so i feel like for us it's been a been a benefit when we're able to bring other people like what lens are we using here it's like yeah like Like this. here yeah yeah Yeah, i think i think it's really important for filmmakers coming up to learn all the all the jobs because then you know what the asks are Mm -hmm. you know like with Killing, the producers are kind of freaking out because the sound budget was going to be half the budget of the movie. Mm-hmm. And somebody had told one of the producers, your sound should only be 10% of the budget. And I'm like, I mean, I guess if your budget's $100 million, then yeah. <laughs> sure, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 10% of the budget. That is all 10 per- that's an arbitrary. Yeah. Like, I don't, we'll get no one for 3000 Um, And so I was able to push back because I understood, even though we were way undercutting somebody at the level of Peter on sound. I knew what I could do on my end. Mm -hmm. And I knew all along the way to not be over asking. Right. Like I, when he would ask, when he would send me something and be like, what do you think? There's no, there's no me being like, I don't know. It just doesn't feel right. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, I got to go put time code everywhere that I don't feel like maybe the sound is working exactly. And send an example of an idea that I have and be like, this is not what I want you to do, but this is the only way for me to communicate it by doing sound work myself and then giving it back to him. Yeah, right. So then he's like, oh, I hear what you're saying. Now I know based off of what I've laid down, I know how to incorporate your idea with the idea I already have laid down. And there was no like five, six, seven times of us going back and forth to Mm -hmm. try and find the right place. Now, if you end up having, you know, $20 million, you can be like, I don't, let's explore. Let's spend two weeks yeah, yeah. Uh, exploring and knowing that we could potentially scrap that, mm-hmm. you know. That's what, like, I imagine more money will allow you to do. You know, it's like Quentin Tarantino said he ed- edits for eight months, and I'm like, what are you doing in that eight months? <laughs> <laughs> I've never had, I've had two, you know. So, yeah. <laughs> so it's... Those are the kind of things that if you take hold of it early on and the consequences are really low, you know, as it relates to like what you're doing. I mean, it would be the same for you guys. It's like, okay, if you're manning it all and it's like it's not allowing you to get a performance where it needs to be because you're also co-directing, then it's like maybe there's less dialogue. Maybe you're writing more visually process-based stuff mm-hmm. so that it doesn't require so much dialogue memorization, which gets in the way and, and so forth. Yeah. Um, it's always for me, that's what even I think an area that I'm trying to grow in that I'm not the strongest in um, is like 
I'm like, what's the budget? And then I'll work within the budget that we're discussing. Mm-hmm. So as a writer, you know, if you take writing classes, they're like, write to countries you want to travel to, you know, write, <laughs> you know, so forth. It's just like open yourself up. And it's like, I don't work well that way. Because right. I'm like, I actually need, like, if I was going to write for Hawaii, I need to fly to Hawaii and be around there and figure out what to write for. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm always, like, really compacted a lot of times. Like, this film, I Love You Now Forever, is very, like, cost-effective until it's not. Like, right. really, <laughs> yeah. like, there's a big set piece where a lot of chaos happens, and that was the big growth for me. Mm. It was like, oh, okay. We're not going to be able to make this film unless the scene can happen and the scene costs, you know, I don't even know the, the cost of the scene, but it's going to be, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars to be able to do it because we'd have to do it three to four times. Right. right. And it's like trying to like grow that way where two thirds of the movie could probably be shot for three hundred thousand dollars. Right. Know? And it's like if I could get the actors to come out for. You know, hey, would you come out for a week? And they're like, oh, okay, I'm in between. You know, right. sometimes it's great with actors if they like what you do. And they're like, well, I have a break between this big thing and this big thing. So I know I'm going to make $2 million this year. This one seems fun. Yeah, I'll hop over and do that for a couple of days for you. Yeah. 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 Yeah, we found that too. Like, we haven't had a lot of, obviously, big name people. But I do feel like there's there is a lot of people that are that are popular that could bring you in a budget that that are in it for the art and they're just like they're willing to just do it because you're bringing something interesting and something different to the table and they'll take yeah. a cut and and that and I think that goes for a lot of positions right if if they see that you're passionate about it and it's something different and you know it's 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 not just some person that doesn't know what they're doing trying to do whatever they're they're so much more wi- willing to work with you because they believe in you or they don't even necessarily have to believe the project message, you know, but they believe that they know that you're passionate and that you're doing something interesting. And, and that is refreshing to probably them sitting on a set of, you know, a show that they don't care about that they're just collecting a check for. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, I cannot wait to see your next film, sir. I <laughs> <laughs> I, I, especially now that we heard that, I was like, I want to know where this goes now. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I'm gonna be watching it meticulously. Like, is this the scene? This is the scene. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You'll know. Yeah. Um, if you have not watched this man's work, then you have. You haven't been paying attention to the show because we reviewed his stuff. Yeah. So just get on it already. And thank you so much for being on. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It happened. It happened. It happened. It happened. I'll have to um, remember to send the check out to him. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. For our entire life savings, he was like, yeah. "I will do this show yeah. if you if you cushion the blow for me financially." Because yeah. who the hell are you guys? Yeah. Now, I uh, seriously, I mean, you guys know we've reviewed his stuff before, and uh, and I'm a huge fan of his. Mm-hmm. And um, there's not a lot, like honestly, I, there's not a lot of like like indie indie directors that I can go like, "Oh, that person's work," because it'll be like one offs. You know, they'll just like that was a really good movie, and then. Yeah. You know, they maybe don't do something for a long time, but it was just like we kind of happened to see these not far apart from one another. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, love this. Yeah. And finding out. I, if he had said to me that they had like a million dollars for killing, I would have been like, yeah, yeah, sure. You I did. would absolutely believe. Absolutely. 
Um, so I don't know if that like if that uh, encourages me more, or if I'm just like, oh, we're not. Yeah, if, we're if not we good had that at all. Much, we couldn't make that. Yeah. quality of a thing. Yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah. know if I've yeah. been it's, deflated. Yeah, yeah. Or if it's I've both, been, yeah. if I've it's been both encouraging and discouraging all at the same time. <laughs> I'm both inspired and going through such self-loathing right yeah. now, where I'm like, we couldn't do that. There's Posture no way. Syndrome's hitting hard, really hard. Yeah. I just got, I just got a beat down. Yeah. No, but I think it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's. It's inspiring to see, you know, because it's, and and this goes, this just, but this further feeds my whole like first feature thing, you know, if your first feature is amazing, yeah. like so much rides on that. And it's like, I know there's some people that are just like, just make it. Who cares? At the end of the day, if someone likes your work, they like your work. How do you think but I feel? Like, I have to write this I thing. Know, but it's like, <laughs> like someone's going to be like, she sucks. It's interesting. It's very interesting. Yeah. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I have so many things. I mean, the, the feature that I have written is a sci-fi drama. So it's like, I don't know. Like, is that good enough? Do I do, do, do I mm. polish that? Do we attack? <sighs> I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Uh, but, you know, this is why we like to have people on that are, you know, in positions that we hope to be in, you right. know, because so that we can know what to expect because it's definitely i mean it's why we do this also so that people that are hoping to get to our level who are just starting out understand the the logistics of things and the reality of it right mm -hmm. we talked about this all the time like yeah you can put your stuff in a film festival but if it's not the right film festival if it's not the film festival that's going to be hard for you to get into it's probably not going to really get you many opportunities. Right. They don't. There aren't, you know, you don't have producers just sitting there waiting to throw money at yeah. you. It doesn't work like There's that. There's a lot of work in getting money funded. It's that, more networking and yeah. watching other people's films. And, it's networking. You know, it's pitching. It's selling yourself. It's, it's so much of that, yeah. you know, because having the talent is just the tip of the iceberg with this stuff you know there's you know like he said there's there's a whole aspect of it that the studio has to trust that you can met that you can run the department of directing and yeah. manage people you know you could be the most talented director in the world but if you don't know how to manage a set then yeah you know tough tough nuggies tough cookies <laughs> um well, we were super psyched to have him on. I hope to have him on again. Um, we are going to be talking to his DP soon, so mm -hmm. that'll be cool. So we can get that perspective as well, especially now like, knowing I that hated he was working with him. <laughs> no, especially now knowing that he was like, like that's just the part that amazes me is that you're telling me that the DP had other engagements at that moment. Yeah. You know what I mean? I would have never guessed that. Like this yeah. was the kind of this came off as the type of set that was like everyone. Of course, there's always going to be, you know, there's going to be a wrench thrown in. It happens on every set, of course. I expect mm -hmm. that. But I would have figured everyone like this, the pre-production, the fact that this was pitched for the summer as a feature and then he had this done and then shooting a couple of months later. I don't even understand that. Yeah. I don't even understand that. I mean, I don't need a year, but I would need, I would like to at least for a feature. I'm like, you got to give me six months. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta give well, me no, six that's months the one thing I've together. noticed about, you know, through talking to a lot of other directors and producers and stuff is that it seems like it's a lot of waiting and then it's all of a sudden it's go, 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 go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. like once the budget, because it's almost like if you don't go at that very second, that budget's gone. Well, I see it constantly so, in casting where yeah. it's like, I get I, I get an email the night before that's like, hey, can you be on set tomorrow? And you're like, what? what? Yeah. At what time? And then by the time I've sent that email back to them to respond. They already threw somebody else in there because yeah. they sent it out to like 12 actors yeah. and, and offered them all the part. And whoever got to them fastest got the part. 
And I'm thinking like, it's tomorrow. Yeah, it's crazy. You got to be it's ready. It's tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> There's dialogue you for this. You sit on a script for, you know, four years. Then all of a sudden, like, someone's like, you, someone bites on it and you everything's it happening and everything in a couple happen- weeks. Yeah. And then yeah. they're like, here's $4 million. And then two weeks before shooting, it's like, two weeks before shooting, like, actually you only have $2 million now. And it's like, what? <laughs> and then I'm in and out of the emergency room having panic attacks because yeah. I don't know how I'm going to do this. Um, I don't know. I mean, but that was always, you know, what we try to uh, explain to people that are sort of up and coming into where we are is like, look, you know, there's the there's the the Hollywood version of what you think this life is really like. And then there's the reality of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's not as glamorous as you think. And, and there are those one offs where people just meet the right person at the right time and they get a great opportunity. But you're going to be struggling a lot. You're not going to have a lot of money for your own stuff. You know you kind of live and breathe it and always go in knowing that you may never hit that goal in terms of your success. And are you okay with that? That was always like kind of the question we asked ourselves. Like, yeah, I would love to be able to make a career out of, out of this full time and, and have it be, uh, 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 financially fulfilling. But if that never happens, do I still love doing this? And yeah, we're still doing it. I mean, it's never made us money. Yeah. I think we've, you know, maybe we've gotten a couple bucks here and there for uh, winning, you know, uh, an award or something like that. And it's sometimes it's a cash prize, but uh, certainly we weren't paying any bills off of me. We were, we were neglecting bills so that we could make movies, but certainly not paying any off of the movies. And we still do it. It's just something we enjoy doing. So yeah. um, if you have not checked out his work, please do so. It's so good. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what else to say. I never self-pitch on this show. That's the first person that I was like, this man is never going to work with me. It'll never happen. And I know that. But I am going to shoot my shot, as the kids say. Okay. I have to do this. (laughs) And then maybe one day he'll be like, you know what? I need a kind of subpar actor. Yeah. For a very small part. I I want someone that'll work for free for me. (laughs) Who will work for free. uh, Who I can call and be like, listen, I'm not paying you. And you're staying at a Motel 6. And I'd be like, what's the room number? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what, what time do you need me there? Um, because like that's, as an actor, when you see a director like that, that you're like, this this person gets it. Like, I want to yeah, be yeah. part of that. Yeah. Um, that's that's it. There, there aren't a, a whole lot of people on that level that I've seen, whose work that I've seen that I've been like, I, fuck it. I'll, where, where, where do you need me? <laughs> like, yeah. I'll be there. Yeah. Um, and that that speaks for the, the the fact that he's able to do all this time crunches, low budgets like that is a true filmmaker. And I I hope that when I reach out to him next time, he's going to be like, who are you again? Yeah. And no, because he deserves that. No, like, hopefully next time you reach out to him, you'd say, thank you so much for hiring me for your next job. <laughs> In my head. Yeah. Because <laughs> that didn't happen. Um. It's happened. There's a couple people that you know that we've had on, and um, they've gotten more successful. And it's like we they either are like, oh, I don't have time right now, or we just don't hear from them, and we don't take that shit personally because we're like, we get it. Like you're yeah. there, you know. That's that's awesome. Yeah. Good for you. I'm glad that you can ignore me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love it. Uh, I love that for you. Um, shout out, Mograp to Mograp. Jesus, sir, are you having an afternoon? Do you need a nap? No, I'm fine. Okay, fine. Um. Thank you for joining us. It's it's exhausting fangirling out. It's, it is exhausting to fangirl. We took up so much of that man's time. He was like, never again. Yeah. Um, 
Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. We love you.